Hello and welcome to WCW vs NWO podcast episode 2 The podcast where we analyse, dissect and woo the NWO vs WCW era of wrestling Tonight we are going to delve right into the Hog Wild 1996 pay-per-view The second appearance of the NWO pay-per-view form I am Dave C, I'm your host, and of course, Misery Loves Company, I wouldn't dare do this alone. My co-hosts for the evening are Fergus Looney from Dublin. How are you doing, Fergus? Hey, good evening, good evening. <laughs> how, uh, how did you enjoy the pay-per-view? Well, enjoy is a very strong word, Dave. I'm not sure I'd like to use it. We'll get into it, though. <laughs> and of course, joining us from across the pond, all the way from Chicago, Connor, how are you keeping? I'm keeping well, but yeah, this pay-per-view, i got a lot to talk about this one. Yeah, I, I failed to watch it in one sitting until very recently. I had I had to take naps in between some of these <laughs> matches. I don't know about you guys. But just a quick shout out to a viewer who contacted us. One or two small errors made in the last episode. A lot of WCW to watch, so a lot of it will come up. Of course, it was Michael Buffer, not Bruce Buffer, as we said in the last episode. Easy to get them mixed up. And fake Razor Ramon was Rick uh, Bogner. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. We're going to jump right in with a segment here called the Nitro Recap. Why don't you take it away, Connor? So here in the Nitro Recap, we take a look at the iconic moment of Monday Night Nitro. So these moments, they can be like standout promos, matches, or like even in this case, a backstage segment. So the one I'm referring to, of course, is from the July 29th Nitro, which is more known on the highlight reels as Rey Mysterio being thrown like a dart by Kevin Nash. So Gus, I know you've seen this segment several times, and Dave, I don't think you've seen it in its entirety, correct? No, no, not yet. Because this is this is really a landmark uh, segment from WCW, and it's an important segment for, like also to further the landscape that the NWO they use guerrilla warfare to attack, and they're attempting to take over WCW. So a quick recap of what happened. This happened in the first hour of Nitro, and it happened in the middle of a Flair, Benoit, Mongo match. They take on Sting, Luger, and the Macho Man. So they wrestle for a bit until Jimmy Hart runs out to ringside near Tony and Larry. He pleads with the cameraman, please take the camera to the back. So the cameraman starts running backstage. Meanwhile, Jimmy goes to the apron, tries to get the wrestler's attention that the outsiders are backstage. So what do you guys think about this? I loved this. This was probably the best moment that you're going to see in Nitros, in the early Nitros anyway, because I know from watching the first couple in between Bash and Hogwild that it's a slow build. They're not all over the show. They're not in every single segment while you're watching. Nitro kind of carries on and they're just kind of simmering along in the background and they show up and they do some kind of really small dickish stuff in the background. They mess with the production cameras at one point. They put their own sign over the WCW logo. But it's all kind of there. They're all on the outskirts. Whereas this is real proper live TV. You don't know what's going on. Why is Jimmy Hart running outside? And he's genuinely freaked out. And they rush to the back and eventually all the other guys follow. And you get to see just Hall and Nash destroying, admittedly, a couple of jobberish guys. Iron is taken out by Razor at one, or Scott Hall at one point. Big Kev gets to make the moment where he gets to throw Ray, almost trying to put him through a truck door. And as they say, they, he looks like a lawn dart. And then before they can get their comeuppance, they kind of uh, skirt off into a limo, which Macho Man valiantly like clings onto like a madman. They rush off and everybody's in shock it's it's so well done 
I think, as you say, Connor, is that it, it carries on from there. Oh, it carries on for a while. So yeah, the, the limo drives all out of frame. We hear women crying, and while they cut back to the ring, there's fans puzzled on what's going on because there's no jumbotron any, yeah. of any sort at the Disney MGM lot. But yeah. So they cut back to backstage. Commentators kind of let the segment breathe, which is I, I, my favorite part about it. Afterwards, they kind of do save their piece. But originally, they just kind of let the segment just play itself. Yeah. A lot of wrestlers yelling. Eddie tends to Rey Mysterio. Ray keeps pleading that there's a fourth member of the NWO, which is kind of nice. So then eventually the paramedics come, and they bring out the stretchers, and they wheel off the wrestlers to the, the paramedics. Really cool moments that Flair and Sting also jump onto the ambulance that have Arn and Mark Bagwell. Yeah, so it's kind of showing the moment that this puts feuds aside and WCW will stand together. Yeah, what I love with the um, on top of the backstage bit, so they're they're all distressed and everything's going on, and then the hour changes. So that's when their announcers change on Nitro from Tony and Larry to Eric and Bobby and to really sell the moment in one of the few times I think that you'll see Bobby actually do his job really well he's like unless you can guarantee my safety I'm not doing my job I'm sorry but I'm not going to go out there if I'm going to get the crap beaten out of me by two guys and he just has this massive argument with Eric on TV and Eric is like look I'm not going to argue with you just go and so Bobby leaves and it really adds to the whole the tension and how much it actually is causing in the company itself because now he's like, well, I don't want to do this. And then it, there's a follow-on with the, the next week's Nitro, where there's random WCW wrestlers are now security uh, around the ring because yeah. they're there to protect themselves from the NWO attacking whoever's wrestling at the time. I thought this was a very ballsy move from WCW running this on their show because just the sheer length of the segment as well. Can you either of you guess the total length? I haven't seen any of it. I have seen some of it. I've seen the classic... Jimmy getting the guys from the front, them running to the back, them getting out of there. I've seen the classic starting bit, which I would estimate without having to see it again is about two or three minutes. So I'm going to double it and go six minutes. Six oh boy. Minutes. Oh boy, Dave. You are so far <laughs> off. I want to say this is a, around half an hour to 40 minutes long. Oh, God. This, this oh, point. not that long. Not that long. So yeah, there, there are a few commercial breaks, as Gus noted. But on the network, it's 18 total minutes. So, but so we're going to add six to eight minutes from commercial breaks. I think that's probably maybe a bit low. So it's probably around 25 minutes, I would say, give or take. And they even do a recap later in the show, too. So they their whole show is pretty much dedicated to this. and To this one thing. And they kind of, like, stumble around, oh, maybe we're going to have standby match ready. And at this point, the crowd is chanting boring. <laughs> like, they've done such a good thing, but they haven't con- considered the crowd at all. So while this entire segment is going on, Dave, there's just nothing happening in the ring. So there's just a crowd sitting around with like, on what what happened? And they've no idea. And like, nobody's communicating anything with them. So they just get bored, naturally. And so you can just start to hear people going, boring, as they're having this really serious blow up on cameras, all this kind of stuff. And you're just like, you were so close. So close to getting this. It also brings about the weirdest world title match you may see in 1996, <laughs> which is the Giant versus Greg the Hammer Valentine, oh, wow. who I was amazed was still employed at this point by either company. He's in it for maybe like two minutes, because I think, is it Arn is meant to wrestle the Giant? Yeah, and same thing with the American Males are supposed to have a tag team match with the Steiners, but they have a rookie tag team, High Voltage, to make their debut oh, yeah. against the Steiner Brothers, kind of really playing up this whole segment, just came out of nowhere, you know, they didn't expect it, which I thought really made the segment as well. 
that's probably the defining moment of that month worth of nitros. If if you're following along the NWO storyline, make sure you see that there's not an awful lot else that is particularly important. Uh, unless you are a really really big Mortal Kombat fan, then at that point you need to watch the Glacier promos because oh boy, <laughs> you want to see be... a guy go like, "Whoa!" <laughs> it's Blood Runs Cold. Blood Runs Cold is his is his signature saying, as it were, and they must say it at least twenty times gonna be a running team wcw try and cash in pretty hard on fads at the time mortal kombat being as much as people like it nowadays mortal kombat was huge at the time right it's 96 oh, yeah. 96 so it's still huge at the time and they are trying to cash in but hard <laughs> it is uh we'll see a few other cases of cashing in including this entire pay-per-view i guess kind of being a bit of a cash in well maybe the opposite dave <laughs> we'll get to that <laughs> But nonetheless, those were the big moments that we, we missed over this month since Bash at the Beach. There is a big moment that we will go into next episode that's a big promo, a big turn in the company. So we will go over that on next time in the Nitro Recap. But that's going to conclude it for this episode. So next up, we have Hogwild 1996. Less than an hour from an icon of democracy and the geographic center of these United States. Through the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota, a small town of 6,500 people lies in wait. Since 1938, enthusiasts have gathered here for something more than just riding a machine between your legs. It is known simply as Sturgis, the motorcycle rally of the world. A quarter of a million bikers are jammed into this small town for racing, festivities, and the biggest biker party on the planet. New to the mix this year, World Championship Wrestling arrives, proving that this annual event will truly be Hog Wild. So Hog Wild took place at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in South Dakota. When first watching, I knew nothing about the rally. I thought this might have been a throwaway event, but this has been happening since 1938. It is a pretty big tradition and by all accounts gets massive turnouts. So this was done on an elevated kind of platform because it was just done in the dirt, I, I guess in a park or something somewhere, but it was done middle of Sturgis and it was free attendance. Anyone at the, at the rally could just attend it. So by the looks of it, very well attended. But as we'll get into the event, we'll see that maybe not all these people were wrestling fans. Maybe a lot of these people were drunken bikers that had come for a motorcycle rally and don't mind watching a couple guys beat the crap out of each other. I know watching it for the first time, this pay-per-view is on a lot of lists of, you know, failures of WCW. But I'm going to give them a little bit of credit. I could see why people believed Eric Bischoff when he told them to run it here. Because it is Eric Bischoff's wet dream to have a wrestling event and a motorcycle rally. Must have got a lot of publicity. I looked up Sturgis a bit. It is pretty renowned. What what did you guys think of the event, the pay-per-view being held here? Having pay-per-views outside really isn't my favorite. I'm sure the wrestlers don't like having to wrestle in the sun as well. I'm not sure how much that affected the, the early matches or not. The sound of the helicopter, really, really annoying. And oh, yeah. I can't imagine how much money WCW wasted. I mean, the helicopter shots, they're nice. They're beautiful. Yeah, they're kind of pretty for a while, but you're there to see wrestling, not, not for that. Yeah, It must annoy them, it being in the sunlight. And then getting dark. It has to. And the noise of just the motorcycle revving. Oh, man, it's super annoying. So to paint a picture what Connor's referring to, there's no seats. As I said, it's literally in the middle of a field on an elevated platform. The entrance ramp is just a dirt ramp 
They haven't put anything over it. The audience, there's just rails around them. It's just people sitting on bikes in a field. Yeah. There's no seating. There's no elevated terrace for people to pay for and sit on. Yeah, there's just cars in the background. It's just everyone in a field for free watching wrestling. Again, I think the concept is kind of cool. But as we're going to talk about, it's going to have a lot of negative implications towards the pay-per-view. And I think you guys are right. Though a lot of WrestleManias have been done outdoors, I know more controlled environment than this for sure. But there have been good outdoor events as well. I'm not counting this as one, but there have been good outdoor (laughs) events in in the history of wrestling. I mean, it's a very... It's an interesting idea, like you're saying, but it just looks set up really weird. The entranceway really bothered me for some reason. Like, it's some sort of weird military camp that they're all coming out of. I don't really understand why it was this weird kind of strongholdy enemy at the gate style doorway that they all kind of appear out of. Yeah. That's but it's in camo and it just doesn't seem to have anything to do with what the what the <laughs> show is about. The fans will point out as it goes along that but there's three matches in particular that they're absolutely woeful for. And they kind of ruin them to a certain degree. Yeah, for sure. I think they ruin it too because they distract me too. Because there's two random objects that just... There's a blow-up dowel at one point. I don't know. Yeah. Just kind of get tossed around. And then there's a Confederate flag, which... Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a little awkward. I actually did a little research too. So the town was originally named... So the town of Sturgis. It was originally named Scoop Town. It was later changed <laughs> to Sturgis. Sorry. Honor- Scoop Town. Scoop Town. <laughs> You see, like, we're laughing so much because scoops are just, it's just beer, so. <laughs> in Ireland, going for a scoop means going for a drink, yeah. 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 So, in, so in, in their uh, historical context, it was scooping up money at the at the harbor or something like that. I didn't I didn't go too deep into it, but anyways. So later it was changed to Sturgis in honor of Civil War General Samuel D. Sturgis. Okay. So Dave Gus. Whose side was General Samuel on? Can you take a guess? Uh, I'm, I'm going to put a lot of my house on uh, on the Confederates. Confederates, it has to be. No, he was actually a general for the what? North. Probably enough. Oh. Damn wow. it, crowd and Sturgis. Get it get it right of which wow. side you're on here. Wow. I mean, South Dakota, it's it's pretty north. It's I mean, it's more north than where I live, too. So it's like, it's you're not really in the south. So that's, it's just that's sure. fair. Yeah, it's probably should really? I mean, they, they also have Rushmore is not too far away from here, right? I have to but assume that, it's close, but... Yeah. But that's, that's, that just shows you what kind of environment and what kind of crowd that we have on hand for this pay-per-view. Yes. You, you know what? Speaking of the opening clip, it, it did give me a lot of hope. They, they do an opening clip that's just a montage of the area. Mount Rushmore is nearby, and they talk about that for a little bit. They talk about the rally, and it's been here for years, and they show all the different personalities coming to it and talk about how important it is. I think they do a pretty good job of talking up, you know... This is a cool event already, and we're adding the WCW-ness to it. I think that's decent. Yeah, they, they seem remarkably credible until you see what they're dressed as. That's that's completely yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah the, the coding. Mm. Oh, that opening <laughs> shot. I just had to, I paused and I stopped. I was like, oh, no. What am I watching? You know what? Tony and Bobby aren't the worst. But, like, Tony looks stupid. Don't get me Tony wrong. Is, looks... Tony is insane looking. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes looks like he's about to coyote ugly all over a bar. It, it is real bad. Like, he's very close to just having Daisy Dukes on. You take a couple more inches off those pants. Uh, I did oh. put down that Tony and Dusty are definitely failed members of the village people. I will admit to that. <laughs> I will say it's really weird seeing commentators wear glasses as well. Same thing with Mean Gene. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Mean yeah. Gene is no better on the, on the clothes front, that's for sure, either. 
No. <laughs> so we got a decent opening interview. When I stop laughing and hear what the guys have to say. Is, is but, that because you're staring at Tony's amazing Robon tattoo? Robon Robon. Oh, the, the conversation I have about that. Are you going to show your wife? What, show my wife some crayon on my arm? Why not? He's like, no, Why not that one. <laughs> Dusty goes, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Who cares if you have a fake tattoo? Whose wife is going, another fake tattoo? You're you're in trouble, man. You're you're losing it. Did you see what the tattoo was, Dave? It's an eagle, right? Oh, it's it's a full-on bald eagle, <laughs> like as patriotic as possible. They do a decent job to all their ridiculous coding of setting up the pay-per-view a bit. I don't think it's as good as their last opening segment, but again, they're putting forward, and it's a team through this the last couple of nitros and this pay-per-view that it's now company versus company. It's not just guys invading the company. There are now two separate wrestling entities clashing. And this becomes a vocal point of the whole NWO movement and why it becomes so scary. A lot of times this has tried to be replicated. The majority of them fail. And I think a lot of them fail to capture the feeling of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash do not work for the company. Hulk Hogan used to work for the company but has turned their back on them. They are random guys coming in with their own agenda and their own, essentially, wrestling business and want to take over. Even though there's a lot of mistakes we're going to cover, they do a really good, I think, job of putting that point across. Okay, and first match on the card, again, we have Rey Mysterio Jr., this time as Cruiserweight Champion. We saw Dean in the last card have it. Against the Ultimate Dragon, or Ultimo Dragon as he's known better, but for some reason they used Ultimate Dragon for this pay-per-view. And Connor, why don't you tell us a bit about how Rey acquired this belt off pay-per-view and a bit about the debut, I think, of Ultimo Dragon? Yeah, this is the debut of Ultim- Ultimo Dragon here. So Rey, he actually won the Cruiserweight Championship. It was the Nitro right after Bash at the Beach, and he was kind of seizing the mo- momentum off his brilliant match with Psychosis the night before. The match wasn't anything too special. Malenko firmly in control most of the match, while Ray kind of stole the victory out of nowhere in the end. So it's kind of odd that we don't have that rematch between those two, but we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. So let's let's focus, I guess, on the where Ultimo Dragon kind of came from. He was obviously a Japanese wrestler, and he actually had ex- experience with Rey Mysterio. They used to wrestle in war in Japan as a tag team and against each other. I mostly know Dragon just because Chris Jericho kind of like widely touted that like he had his match that got his like chance in ECW. Like it was him and Chris Jericho that basically had the match that made Chris Jericho what he is today. So that's how he got noticed and it was really cool. I haven't seen really any Dragon matches. I don't remember any of them. So I'm interested to see like what Dragon, what he does in his WCW run. Yeah, so they bring out Mike Tanay for the beginning of this match. Of course, we don't see him for any other match, including another match in the card I would consider a bit of a light heavyweight cruiserweight bout. But, you know, he comes in, they introduce him as Mike Tenay from the WCW Hotline, which was one of their biggest scams and failures. For those of you that don't know what the WCW Hotline is, you call them up from your house, because we used to have phones in our houses on the walls. You call them up from your house. They would charge you like 99 cents for the first minute and then 2 or $3 for every additional minute. And they'd give you news and updates of WCW and they claimed wrestling around the world. But... They didn't say anything for the first three or four minutes, according to any report. So by the time you heard, I think it was Mean Gene and Mike Tenay were two people who did it often. Of course, recordings and stuff of them talking, not actual personal conversations with the guys. <laughs> you were already like $9, $10 in the hole before you heard. And this jobber beat this jobber. I'm sure it's like you have reached the yeah. WCW hot I, line. <laughs> yeah. I'm- 
I'm pretty sure that if uh, if Mean Gene was actually on the line, I would probably have paid for it. <laughs> Just asking, asking Mean about who he's slept with and like what like what bars he's been going to and stuff like that. <laughs> of course, the first thing Tanae points out is something respectful. It's Ray when he uh, when he got attacked. They had the doctor had to take off his mask, and that was worrying. And that was big news in Mexico. Now I don't know if that's true at all, but they talk about Ray losing his mask and how important it is for luchadors to keep their masks. And the first thing Bobby says is, "Of course, it's important. They're ugly." <laughs> yeah, it was a nice callback too. Although it was yeah. kind of cool that Ray Mysterio, when they take off the paramedics, they take off his mask. But Ray does cover his face up, plain it up as like he's in pain, but also like, oh, I don't want to show my face. Yeah. So I, I thought it was a really cool kind of moment. I, I think it's a good job by Tanay. Tanay does get to show off that he has some knowledge and is kind of informed about what things are going on he does add to the show like he's not just some random person that's put in yeah they, they talk about is it Liger has the brain tumor yeah yeah I'd forgotten yeah. this was around the time yeah like, I completely forgot about that he's still him. wrestling yeah oh, wow <laughs> he just announced there not to, to timestamp this too much but he's in the next best of the super juniors championship what an ironic name it's going to be his last one. Oh wow which is, huh. is a big deal so yeah, that is a big deal. But Gus, what did you think of this match besides uh, some Mike Tanay brilliance and some Bobby shenanigans? I quite enjoyed this match. I mean, the two of them know each other quite well. Uh, they've wrestled across the world. Like, Ultimo is, has wrestled in Mexico and Japan. It's quite clear who's the babyface and who's the heel. Ultimo does his best to look really arrogant and a dick, basically. And he's trying to toy with Ray and uh, show off his skills as it were and ray does a pretty decent job as the, as the underdog again i don't know if you guys noticed he's spider-man here yeah, yeah i was gonna Seriously. mention it. <laughs> his tights are spider-man so there's that kind of connection too the crowd doesn't really react to them i don't think the crowd gets what's going on to be honest they do try their hardest but outside of the the plancha that he pulls off i don't think the crowd really really ever gets going here and unfortunately because it's wcw when ray does this crazy plancha that goes from the ring outside of the apron and outside of the wooden structure to the far outside the camera misses it so we don't get to see any of this cool move yeah it's it's wasted on this crowd i mean that's like an ecw kind of like oh my god type yeah it's, it's an amazing move when you think about it and you don't get to see any of it to put it in a bit of perspective the wooden structure they're on is probably just a little shorter than ray maybe about the same size as him <laughs> yeah that's so, very true yeah that's so our new new unit of measurement how many how many raises <laughs> how many raises? <laughs> yeah. so the ring well if you think of it, the ring itself is like two to three rays so ray has to jump four times his height to the yeah. ground that, that's kind of a scary concept right and be caught by the right guy yeah, he, he looks in a lot of pain after this spot. They, they take their time getting up, and I don't think it's just selling. Both of them look like they took a, a pretty nasty bump. Yeah, that's fair. I, I actually have a kind of question. This comes up when they do the planche a bit. Do you honestly think the crowd can see the ring properly because of how high it is? I think they could probably see the ring. I don't know. As we said at the start, it's not tiered at all. So maybe the front few people, I don't know what the people at the back are seeing. Maybe it's high enough that it's like a gig. If you're at like a gig, you can kind of see what the band is doing for most positions. I mean, maybe, but like if, if the guys are in the center of the ring and you're standing down and it's, say, whatever height it is, you're probably not going to see their entire bodies. If they're on the mat, can you see it all? 
Oh yeah, I was going to bring this up for a couple of the finishes. It's going to come up. A couple of the finishes were not well received at this pay per view, and that's because wrestlers are wrestling as if there's a titatron on them or just cameras on them. People do not know what's happening in at least three of the finishes of this pay per view. Uh, that's, that's, that's a good fair. point. I yeah. wish you know anybody that went to this pay per view, you know, write into us and tell us if you. Could see <laughs> I would love to hear your live report of this pay per view. Yeah, so uh, as Gus was saying about the face heel thing, they made sure people knew Ultimo was heel by putting Sonny, uh, Sonny Ono. We haven't seen him in the previous pay-per-view. He's the typical Mr. Fuji-type heel manager. He's mysterious kind of Asian heel manager. He's sneaky, sneaky Japanese. Yeah, yes. like Exactly. It's really typical. He makes the best comment of the match. Ray, who's been introduced as from Mexico, I'm pretty sure Dragon was introduces from japan and the crowd at multiple stages are chanting usa and of course ray being the face and this is the only reaction they're getting ray big bigs it up ray's like yeah yeah come on come on and they chant harder and they, the camera pans over to sonny and he says stupid crowd american fan so stupid he's yeah. not usa yeah, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. not he, he is not usa is the exact wording it, yeah. it's, it's so good connor would you like to run us through the, the finish of the match the finishing sequence yeah, a few spots I actually like to note that I did like a lot. There's a lovely running sit-down powerbomb by Dragon. I thought that was oh, yeah. pretty brutal, but uh, I liked it a lot. Although I didn't like the botched Mexican surfboard. Damn it, when are we going to get a good Mexican surfboard on this podcast? I did mean to point that out. <laughs> I, when, it, when it started, I'm like, oh, Rick must be fuming. Someone can actually do it properly. Oh, it lasted two seconds. You're like, never mind. Uh <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, this match, it, it has some good spots, but obviously it's not false. It's not totally smooth like the one we saw with Psychosis. For the finish, though, Ray goes for the Frankensteiner off the top. Dragon pushes Ray midair. Ray lands on his feet. He quickly bounces off Brett's rope and gets the Frankensteiner this time. Wasn't executed perfectly, but Ray goes for the sexy pin and gets the 1 2 3. So yeah. he, Ray Mysterio retains the Cruiserweight Championship. Yeah, I think overall, good solid match, good solid opener. As we said, the crowd wasn't reacting, but there's two things I'd like to note. It's the first match of the night, and they did start reacting to big spots at the end. Not like a normal wrestling crowd would have for some of these amazing spots, but they got them reacting. And it's open air, so while we can gauge some of the reactions, maybe some of it was a bit better than we think, because, you know, open air doesn't retain the noise as well as you would hear in a stadium. Maybe... Uh, uh, may- maybe like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm you're sorry. being a bit apologist there I'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> that, that's fair I, I'm, I'm just saying maybe for in the interest of fairness there's a chance that the reactions were a bit better live than we are hearing but I, I think they did a great job of warming up yeah I'd, I'd agree with that I mean the only other thing I would note is that I particularly enjoyed Ultimo Dragon deciding to use people's finishers as transition moves particularly Lex's torture rack and Rick's figure four, both of whom are on this pay-per-view later on, and both of which the finisher he uses as spots that take maybe 20 seconds. Yeah, the, but this match was, it was a solid opener. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't flawless. wasn't the awesome match like with Psychosis, but no. it, it's kind of cool that they're showing, they're willing to show off the talent in the Cruiserweight division instead of like jamming. They could have just jammed Ray versus Malenko again. So I, want, I wanted to ask you guys this. It would be obvious to have that rematch, of course, but they hold off until Clash of Champions to that, which is five days later from this pay-per-view. I actually kind of appreciate the style of booking because in comparing today wrestling, because like wrestling now today, it's like if you have a feud, like you always wrestle the person you're feuding with for like months and months. Twice, yeah. They end up inevitably wrestling too many times then. So like we, we see this both ways in this company. I remember seeing two particular WCW stars 
Russell way too many times. So do, 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 you, li- do you like this, them taking a break and then going back to the feud? Or what, what kind of style do you like? Do you, do you appreciate both? I, I can say I appreciate both, but I, in modern wrestling, the feud blocks are certainly overused. I know come Attitude Era, I got very frustrated with someone feuding and then three months later being fine with the person they feuded with. So that kind of mm. continuity really annoys me where I'm like, this, you literally hated this person weeks ago. There, there's a middle ground. There's sometimes when there's like year-long builds that can be boring and they just hate each other for a year and it's like, it happens at like one, say WrestleMania and the next one might be a similar match. So there's certainly place for boat booking. The Cruiserweight division here does kind of feel like an open challenge anyone can come from over the world. And as far as the two pay-per-views we've seen, that seems accurate. Like Ray comes and he's Mexican. He's been big in Mexico, parts of the US. We got Ultimo Dragon, who's just from all over the world. Japan, Mexico, massive there. We've had Conan. It wasn't for the Cruiserweight, but we've had Conan come in from AAA, essentially and fight Ric Flair. So it does feel like people can just jump into WCW from abroad. So I don't mind it too much in this context. I would still like for any pay-per-view match to have a build-up. So these guys don't have to have a confrontation beforehand. But vignettes saying, you know, Dragon is coming or something, opposed to just, yeah, Ultimate Dragon's here. That's something I was going to bring up later. I don't know why they don't have, like, Nitro recaps or Saturday Night recaps. They do that on Nitro. They have, like, hey, this happened on Saturday Night. This is what's happening in this feud. They don't do that in this pay-per-view at all. No, they they don't set up anything on this pay-per-view. They don't remind anybody of anything. But I do quite like this in this context because they give a reason for why... Dean is separate from Ray. We can go into it a bit more when they get to his match. But there's a reason why he's not immediately just challenging for the belt again. It actually furthers a couple of stories and it allows like Ray to kind of get a couple more matches under his belt and be separate without being hedged in. And like you say, you don't get overblown then of just seeing the same match over and over and it being kind of repetitive and losing the spark then. Knowing, in hindsight, knowing that Malenko does get his rematch, I'm okay with it then. If he never got it, that's what pisses me off the most. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. W, when WCW does that, I'm just like, oh. They just forget fuck. things, yeah. So we, we get a transition from this match into Gene spouting the hotline and wearing some hot nonsense. <laughs> Turner Sports hat, yeah. Gene's a peeping Tom, I think, in the background of some of some weird film, probably. Yeah, he looks marvelous, but he he's just here to big up the hotline, and we'll get that. And I'm pretty sure for a few pay per views this year, we'll get the hotline touted. I'm not sure exactly how long it lasts, but Gene will talk about it a lot in the future. Yeah, and there's random banter about like what kind of bikes are at Sturgis. Like my problem with this and like the opening promo, it's like it seems like they're trying to put Sturgis over more than the matches. The matches, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're they're trying to convince the rest of America that Sturgis is cool. Which, I, think, I think Eric just really wants to be in with the cool bikers. A bit like other storylines we'll see down the line. Eric likes being cool. I joked about it, but this is probably Eric's dream. Eric loves fighting, biking, and wrestling, and he gets to have his wrestling promotion be at the bike show. He probably loves and he got to we'll see later he got to ride a bike to Sturgis I don't know it's kind of hard because in, in these breaks Bobby has to big up a rally but oh god Bobby doesn't care at all yeah but at other like so at the scripted points Bobby has to be like yeah the, fest, the festival's great at other points he's just making fun of Hicks it comes across really mixed at multiple other points in the pay-per-view he's making fun of the motorcycles and the people on them and calling them push bikes but in these breaks, he has to be like, yeah, Sturgis is great. Oh, Bobby. I'm, I have a lot more to say about Bobby later on. <laughs> so we'll go into the second match, which is Scott Norton versus Ice Train. This one gets about five minutes. 
these are former tag team partners, and why don't you tell us a bit about them, Gus? To be fair, this is actually reasonably built up over the previous month worth of Nitros. Scott Norton and Ice Train were fire and ice, and they're kind of like an up-and-coming tag team, I guess. And it just at some point, Norton decides that Ice Train isn't holding his part of the bargain, and he decides to beat him up. Well, there was a particular moment, it was a match against the Steiners, Ice Train accidentally splashes Norton instead of Rick Steiner. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. There's there's a disagreement, Norton is like, screw this, I'm done, and then he there's a couple of bits of back and forth, and I know Norton attacks him towards, I want to say the fourth or fifth Nitro, he, he blindsides him and beats him up, and that's why when we, we see this match... Ice Train has his entire shoulder patched up with this like tape to try and hold it together. So Ice Train isn't coming into this match at a hundred percent, which I'm pretty sure Bobby is says about eighteen times while they're calling the match. That's really it. No rocket science here with the with the feud. It's just two big dudes that are lumping each other. I can't remember there being anything particularly athletic about this match. There's a lot of rest holds, there's a lot of stalling and pounding on Ice Train's shoulder. Yeah, it's really boring. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to talk about this of why this match was, like, particularly boring, too. I'm, I mean, obviously, these guys aren't the most charismatic fellows. No. Uh, so, so as the commentators point out, like, why wrestle when you're visibly hurt? Especially, like, in, like, a lukewarm feud like this. Like, this yeah, isn't, that... like, your Seth Rollins facing, like, Triple H. Sure, like, Seth is hurt, but there's, like, more on the line. And you have actual, like, build-up in the feud. More intense build-up, I should say. So, yeah. like, wrestling, like, while injured felt, like, more justified there. But, like, here it's, like, Dice Train, just just wait. You don't need to wrestle. <laughs> yeah, it, re- it really underscores the whole thing. Like, you're trying to build this up as, like, oh, it's kind of like a grudge feud thing. And Bobby's just like, fuck it. Why would you bother wrestling? What's the, what's the point here? He's too like, for wrestling. Bobby like, is too smart for wrestling. Bobby, you're you're kind of right here. Actually, this is this is a terrible idea. Why should I be cheering this guy? Oh yeah. As you guys point out, it's just a massive hoss fest. There's a few rest holds, but besides that, it's Norton getting in a few shots on the shoulder, Ice Train hulking up, getting a few chops back, and then getting cut down by his shoulder again. Norton works the armbar a couple of times in the match, and I kind of like the finish. Ice Train just taps out to the armbar. His arm hurts so much at the end he has to give up. I kind of like there's a lot of these matches, uh, these feuds, where people come in, they'll be hurt on the shoulder or knee, a hundred different submissions will be done, and then the person will stop selling it to do their finisher or do a move at the end, and then at the end of the match you'll barely see them favorite. And that, that is, I hate that so much. So so I kind of like that Ice Train is just put out by a normal armbar. Because if your shoulder was out of place, you're certainly tapping out to an armbar. That, that's making a lot of sense to me. What, what do you think of kind of continuity like that, Connor? Yeah, it's a simple storyline. I thought the match was the appropriate length, too. So I was actually okay with this match. Although, I mean, I wasn't interested at all with it. But I, I thought it made logical sense. Other than the commentators pointing out why why wrestle when you're, when you're so hurt. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, I thought it worked. Okay, we'll leave that short one. I think we will see more of these two gentlemen at the next pay-per-view, if I remember correctly. Yeah, luckily the feud concludes next pay-per-view, and yeah. that's going to be the last match that we cover of Ice Train, so Aww. more on that for the Fall Brawl episode. He's so hossy, though. They um, are very hossy, Dave, but they're not very good. Uh... And now we get one of my... F- I think my favorite interview since we've started doing this podcast, and it's a sit-down interview with Flair. Hogan, Nash, Hall, whoever, you hurt my best friend. Didn't matter whether I was standing the sting and Luger. Through association, they could be in an ambulance with me 
they could be in my home. If Arn Anderson's down, I'm there. I mean, Arn Anderson and I have been up and down this road for 15 years, man. We have bled, we have sweat, and we've cried. The emotion in this business is huge. It's hard. It's hard on you personally. I had decided in my own mind that Hogan and the New World Order and the Horsemen could coexist. But then they jumped on Arn Anderson, and it became a whole new awareness, a whole new ball game. This is our business. We stand top by getting involved. My other real friend in life is, is, is this company. This company is the best. I'll stand up for it. I'll fight for it. It's on now. It's on the table. It's us, it's survival of the fittest. It doesn't matter whether I like Sting or Sting likes me or Luger. It's one company now trying to be taken over by another. If the New World Order wants to make their mark and to really score, you've got your opportunity now because the horsemen are involved. Two of us can't survive. Two companies can't survive. Go to bed with that thought tonight. So I, I think that this interview does a really good job of doing the company versus company mentality I talked about at the start of the card. We get a lot more of a restrained Rick that's not pretty typical. There's a lot of differences in this generation of wrestler. You see a lot of the older guys, Rick, Hulk, Macho, and they're doing their old style interviews. It's like, do you know what, brother? And this is the town I'm in, and this is the guy I hate, and I'll tell you about him, brother. And it's the same kind of old school interview. It's I like to call it a soundbite interview. They're making sure to hit key points, why they hate the guy and who the guy is and the town they're in most of the time. Where this is a bit of that again, but it's more of a modern interview. He's sitting down. He's maybe developing even the storyline with the interview. I, I like it a lot. You, you see guys like Scott and Kev cut promos a bit closer to this, the newer generation guys. What, what did you think of the interview, Gus? I do enjoy this promo. Like you said, it's it's not it's not flair. It's flair at his like kind of strip back. There's no glamour about the women or the fast cars or the private jets or the expensive suits and everything. It's a man who's been extremely offended and put out by a company as he calls them so many times that have hurt his best friend and it is the person that he's spent all his time with and that he's been on the road with and he knows intimately. I think he does a really good job of putting them over. I think that's what you're trying to get across when you say these old style promos. Yeah. In that you put across how good your opponent is while you're still kind of insulting them and you give them the respect so that you don't completely demean them before it's even started. Flair has always been very, very good at this, but here it kind of takes on another dimension. I, I'm going to point out one thing other than he calling Iron his best friend is his other close friend is WCW, apparently. <laughs> not not any other person. He, a company, an inanimate kind of intangential thing is his closest friend. I get what he's trying to say. He's putting over how important the company is to him. And the, and the history, and it's very long. It's a rich history as well yeah. with the horsemen. And, and how much it is involved and everything. Presumably he's done one take, and this is the take, and it's just he's letting it all come out. And this there's just this one blip, which I find funny. <laughs> But it, the other part that I think he does particularly well is that he says, like, the horsemen have all these issues with, and he rattles off, like, the Dungeon of Doom and the various people that they've been feuding with. And he's like, but you hurt my friend, so all bets are off. 
So the horsemen have to come to the rescue now. And we have to be stand with WCW. And it's a real good stance of like, it's not about my own personal thing anymore. It's the entire company's uh, struggle against NWO. So I, I think this is a great promo. For how short it is, it, co- it gets across so many things. And it becomes very, very important in setting the stage. Yeah, it's great foreshadowing as well for the next pay-per-view. I mean, this speaks to the main event. It speaks to other things. It's, you know, it speaks to the the segment that we talked about earlier. And the other two things I really like to the interview, Flair just speaks in his normal voice. It's not the shouty Flair as well. This isn't just your typical mean Gene talking to Flair either. Like he's sitting down. He's not in the typical backstage area either. So you have a different backdrop. The interview stands out as being very different and we should pay attention to this. So Mm. love this promo. Oh, I hope we see more of this kind of style promo. Yeah. So we go from very good promo, big high to Jimmy (laughs) Hart trying to sell us some wild, (laughs) wild merchandise. And if there's anyone that sells merchandise, we all know that the kids love some Jimmy Hart and want to wear exactly what Jimmy Hart is wearing. You know, merchandise in, merchandise in. Haven't you bought your <laughs> Hogwild jacket and your Hogwild t-shirt, Dave? <laughs> who, who are you selling it to? So either you're having Jimmy Hart trying to sell it to kids and wrestling fans. No one likes Jimmy Hart. You put out Jimmy Hart with the heels because everyone hates Jimmy Hart. Or you're trying to sell it to bikers who's seeing this skinny guy with a megaphone look terrible in the merchandise. Like, I'm not going to buy it. Look at this nerd. <laughs> the logo is so shit. And it's so <laughs> poorly put together. And it's tiny on the jacket. It may as well not be on it at all. And oh, it's so bad. Oh, and Gus, that reminds me something. Some one point that we didn't mention out the cover for this pay per view shows oh, Hogan yeah. wearing yeah. the the yellow and red. Yellow and red. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can see they don't have too much long term planning on the cover of the <laughs> the pay per view is just Hulk being Hulk. Oh, Dave, that's not just the poster. That was the release uh, VHS poster. Yeah. yeah. So that comes out after the pay per view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This isn't like they made it and then went, oh, fuck, we better use it. This is, we had months to figure this out and do something and still used it. <laughs> yeah, we'll jump straight in. The, the, the least we say about, the less we say about Jimmy, the better. We'll, we'll jump straight to the next match, which is our first women's match of the podcast. Medusa for, versus, I'll make sure I get this name right, Bull Nakana. And it's called a Battle of the Bikes match. Bull comes out with Sonny Ono. Sonny is riding a Japanese, nondescript Japanese bike. I was discussing this before the cast. I think I heard one of the commentators say Honda, but I'm pretty sure that Honda wouldn't want anything to do with this debacle. I also think it's funny that Bull is probably not riding the bike because she can't, but also it's a bit of a face thing to come out riding a motorcycle, right? So they had the, they just had the manager do that. Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. To try to make somewhat sense of it, like Medusa's been kind of feuding with other Japanese women and Sonny Ono interfered with her previous match so it maybe the feud is more with sunny and and medusa that i'm probably going too deep into this but that's the only dynamic i can think i think you've gone deeper than the wcw considered and then we got medusa coming out on her beautiful harley davidson according to the commentators and as far as i know medusa was actually into bikes she is into Harleys and stuff. She does like show up in the promo later on where they're riding to Sturgis. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think it's actually her bike as, as well. Connor gave us a bit of our back history there. That there is not much of a back history. This is an excuse to get the bikers into the pay-per-view. Because no matter what, they're going to want the foreign bike to be broken. And so the st- stipulation, if you haven't guessed, uh, the loser's bike gets smashed. So a big sledgehammer comes down to the ring. Or I, I, I don't know who carries it to the ring. But there's a big hammer brought down to the ring. And uh, winner gets to smash the loser's bike. So straight away in the match, maybe one of my favorite parts of the interview, Bull uses nunchucks. 
She got a nub jump. She got a nub jump. Into the midsection. Boom, hit her with a nub jump. With what? A nub jump. A nub jump. Don't you understand? A nub jump. What's that? Things on, a, on, a, on a chain. Things on a chain. That, that, that Bruce Lee beat up people with. The referee is somehow distracted long <laughs> enough by putting a hammer away. And my God, I thought Rubber Shark was good. But, <laughs> but he, he cannot get his mouth around the word nunchuck at all. <laughs> this is coming from me. It's quite a straightforward match. Gus, why, why don't you run it, uh, us through a bit of it? I mean, it's, it's perfectly acceptable wrestling i guess like the women try it it's not a particularly long match and you know you've got the whole like american angle she's like all american face and it's like the evil japanese foreigner with it, the weirdest hair like ever with, with amazing like, probably the best yeah her hair is amazing but, um, the best I, I say uh, weird but i think it's amazing brill cream that you could ever find like she's a genuinely very good women's wrestler uh, she's had lots of good matches over the years to go back to the nunchucks doesn't I think even beyond that quote doesn't Bobby then equate nunchucks to a sledgehammer because that's what the nunchuck uh, means in Japanese <laughs> yeah the, the commentary during this match is really awkward because yeah. like at one point they talk about Bull's weight it's just like why are we talking oh, about yeah, this oh yeah they make so bad it's really awkward they, they equate her weight they call her 200 pounds which is obviously overbooking wrestling terms the, the woman is not 200 pounds but they say a 200 pound woman is the equivalent of a 400 pound man and then they just argue over whether she's big or not for a while and then maybe realize it's not appropriate to keep talking about this woman's weight and arguing whether she's big or not and they kind of move on and it's it's so cringy. It's so bad. The match itself, I, I have to agree, is a bit good at the start. I think it's fine wrestling. Both of them, I think, are pretty accomplished women's wrestlers and probably if you look back in this era, some of the better res- uh, women's wrestlers from this era, the finish is the first of the finishes that really suffers from... Not like the crowd have no idea what's happening. They they botch it the first time. They have to do it again. Co- Connor, would you run us through the finish quickly, please? I don't even know what the finish really is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Bull I'm... goes for the pin. Ref counts three, although Medusa's shoulder was up. Ref seems to want to reverse the decision, but Sonny just goes over to the bike with a sledgehammer. Tony remarks that he would like to look at a replay, but apparently they can't. They can't. I don't know. They try and do it twice, and they fail the first time. And they do the exact same spot the second time. The whole spot is supposed to be a belly-to-back suplex, bridge, and Medusa gets her shoulder up before tree, but Bull still has both her shoulders down. But you cannot get that across to a live audience. The live audience have no concept over what's happening. Yeah, I I have it written down as fuck-up counted when he shouldn't have. Uh, (laughs) So it just looks like a complete mess, and the camera's on them, and I still wasn't sure how it ended. God knows how the crowd is is meant to have any idea what's going on there. And then they kind of save it with Sonny goes down with the sledgehammer and he's about to hit Medusa's bike and then she grabs it off him and proceeds to, certainly tries to attempt to break the Japanese bike, uh, which I don't think she does a very good job at. Or it highlights how well-made Japanese motorcycles are. The the craftsmanship of that motorcycle. The the craftsmanship was so good. If anything... The winner of the match is the Japanese motorcycle, which should sell a lot more units after this. She doesn't hold back. She is swinging for the fences on that bike, and she doesn't even crack most of the plastic. She breaks the headlight. She breaks some of the plastic off of her hands. None of the metal's bending. The seat isn't moving. It's just in really good condition when she's done. It's it's hilarious. Pretty anticlimactic, and I, I don't know. You said, like, oh, it'll, it'll get the crowd into it because it involves bikes, but... 
isn't it kind of stupid a goal to, you know, we're, we're in a crowd of bike fans. Like, shouldn't that the goal not be to hurt the bike? Because I think the fans would be like, hey, no, 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 give, give me the bike instead of destroying yeah, it. You but, know? Yeah. Like, remember, we, we also stated that they had the Confederate flag, Connor. So they're trying to hit both angles there, I think. <laughs> <laughs> These spots always terrify me. Bobby points out something I was concerned by. There's gas in the engine of that. Now, I don't think it's going to explode like a movie, but certainly it can't be 100% safe just wailing on it. Now, obviously, it did no damage. and Maybe the hammer wasn't heavy enough, but I'm reminded of, I don't know what event is, but Brock Lesnar goes at a car with an axe. Is, is it SummerSlam? I not remember this. It's, yeah. Oh, it's not even SummerSlam. It's like a it's raw. raw. It's on a raw. And Brock <laughs> is two seconds away from impaling his own eye. Yeah. And you can see it in his face. He bounces the hammer off it. It comes within an inch, even closer, of his eyeball, his open eye, the back of the axe, the spike at the back of the axe. And he goes a bit softer at it from that point. Now, nothing Medusa does is that bad, but in these destroyed property things, I'm always so scared a splinter is going to come up or someone's going to whack themselves with a hammer. In a couple of years, we're going to get a... This is going to be way down the road. Will we get Goldberg smashing up some property and we see how well that goes? So as cool as these angles can be, Especially back then, no one thinks of the consequences of actually taking a hammer to an object. It's the mid-90s, everybody's carefree, everybody's happy, it's all good, it's all good. Speaking of the 90s though, I really wanted to bring up this point of women's wrestling, because this is our first women's wrestling match, and at this part of time in wrestling, women's wrestling was basically a joke, or I mean, it wasn't a joke, it just wasn't, it didn't really exist at this time. It wasn't treated very well, yeah, yeah. No. Obviously we've come a long way since then. But we're, we're right now we're just seeing an attempt to introduce the the women's a new women's division. So obviously the division is going to be pretty thin. But Medusa is just wrestling other Japanese wrestlers, and but nonetheless, like WCW trying to be progressive here and actually start one. And we're we're going to see a tournament later on in uh, in the year in a few pay per views. Yeah, I, I was really impressed by Medusa is scantily enough clad, but Medusa has always been super athletic, and she's just come across as an athlete in her gear. And yeah. Bull is fully dressed up, but Bull is like head to toe dressed yeah and like women's heels are usually just like the condescending oh i'm beautiful type yeah. heel and and you she, don't you usually don't have like the not ugly but you know what i mean like the yeah, monster she's a monster yeah, yeah she's a monster. Monster. and that's impressive i you wouldn't see this in wwf for years it's really hard to watch the attitude error because it's really degrading to women and i don't mean a little bit I don't mean, uh, it's back then and we're more progressive now. I mean, it's super degrading to women, this industry at this time. And to watch a Japanese wrestler come in, and Japan has a long history of very good athletic women's wrestling, actual athletes, and it's a bit like the cruiserweight division that comes in to WCW now. WCW is trying new things here. Unfortunately, WCW, they kind of fall into the WWF tactic of just objectifying women with like, the, you know, things like yeah. the Nitro girls and things like that. So it's the worst part of reliving wrestling from the 90s for sure. But yeah, I mean, this match was stupid, but it did surprise me in a positive way. And I actually, I, I would like to see more Medusa matches now. Yeah, before the botch finished was actually, I think, an enjoyable match. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, I think she wrestles once on Nitro before this. Maybe yeah, her, ma- her match, like that I was speaking to before, was actually a really good match. I-, I expect a little bit more with this match, unfortunately. It didn't come together as, as much, though. Yeah, I think it's time-related, and I don't think I'd pin the blame on them too much. So we, we go from this, let's call it a bike crash ending, to WCW <laughs> oh, CompuServe. Oh. It's them trying to expand to online, you know, it would have been fairly new then, so we're talking about WCW trying new things, and that's fine, I have nothing to complain about. What ambassadors they use, though. (laughs) They have Rick and Scott on the computers. Scott is fine. 
Rick acts like he's never seen a computer in his life and is making car noises while moving it around and tilting in his seat, pretending to play a game yeah, but, with cars, but, I assume. Yeah, but doesn't Scott, like, try to hide it by going, like, what, what game are you playing? How do you do that? <laughs> Scott is like, oh my god, there's something wrong with his brain. Are you on a car game? I just love that on top of it, it like, not only are they trying to sell this, like, CompuServe thing and about early internet, whatever it is, they also look ridiculous. They have, like, leather biker hats on and are wearing, like, denim jackets and stuff. And they just look silly while they're trying to do this. And there's no real explanation. Next up is a really awkward moment. So Tony's like, so are we going to go to Mean Gene? Well, I'm being told two different things here. Uh, we are not. All right. <laughs> Live pay-per-view. Yeah, there's a few of these moments. The, the end of the bowl match where Gus pointed out, uh, we're going to go to a replay. We're not. We're not going to a replay. Okay. <laughs> the winner is Medusa. <laughs> That's great. But we go right into our fourth match of the night. And it's Dean versus Chris Benoit, woman and Miss Elizabeth. This gets... 26 almost 27 minutes unheard of amount of time for for a match in a wcw pay-per-view connor do you want to give us a bit of the build-up why dean is in this match against instead of fighting ray yeah so gus you're gonna you're gonna have to help me out here i think i can get all the specifics here so jimmy hart said he'll recruit anybody and do what it takes down the horseman that's basically what the start of it is so then he jimmy he kind of starts trying to talk to dean like before his previous matches i think he had a match against kidman he just kind of like hey hey hey, you're gonna you're gonna do something yeah he's like i'll I'll talk to you again i'll talk to you again i gotta go they don't even like say anything about it on commentary when that happens on nitro they just kind of brush it off and carry on but yeah from there i think it just kind of comes out that dean bargains with jimmy hart he's like look i'll do what you want me to do so long as you make sure that you get me a cruiserweight title match and jimmy's like yeah no problem so then dean attacks benoit is it during a match yeah it should be during matches i know that there's a couple run-ins it's hard to keep track of what which one happens when but yeah that's basically what happens there's a couple run-ins and yeah that's it Uh, other than that it's yeah dungeon against horsemen jimmy's recruiting people to be in the dungeon and do you know the the newest member in the dungeon dave no who's the newest member oh well i have to bring this up because you, you guys are two irishmen the leprechaun oh, yeah, the leprechaun. oh wow that's metal. uh trout yep. when i watched that words can't describe dave how bad this is it's this man who kind of runs around the outside of the ring and he spends all his time kind of like looking feral and chewing things and just comes across as this like insane person you see him once they have like an eight-man tag and he's one of the people in the tag match that's it we haven't seen him again yet Maybe he'll show up, though. Uh, <laughs> what was even more awkward, too, is like Larry Sabisco was trying to talk about the Leprechaun and he was trying to compare him to Dean. And I was just like, no, please do not so, compare yeah. these two. Let's, let's not. Let's not do this. <laughs> oh, wow. I think that the match itself, I'm, I'm going to go and say I'm pretty largely disappointed by. Really? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really disappointed by this match. I, I heard really good reviews. I fell asleep the first time I watched it. I think it's really boring. I think of this match, the psychology in it, is that both men are like really evenly matched. That they're exchanging pins a lot. There's a nice sequence early on in the match where they do a couple of different backslides. It's one of those long backslides into back bridges, into reversing pinfalls. Falls. And it's really crisp. Both, both performers are super crisp performers. Really? I thought some of the bridge spots were kind of sloppy. I, I think they were meant to look like that, to make it look hard. But may, maybe they were actually just... Well, I, I, I think they do sloppy. mess up a little bit, Dave, yeah. Okay, I, I thought they were kind of doing it on purpose. I'll take your, your guys' word for it. They do, they do this at a stage, and then they're doing 
I do a move on you. So power bomb, pin, miss attempt. You get up. You do a move on me. Pin, miss attempt. And I thought, okay, this is fine psychology for the middle of the match. But it's just kind of how the most of the match continues. And not one guy getting too much momentum. I don't know. I get really bored by the pacing of this matchup. Really importantly, the crowd gets super bored by the pacing of this matchup. I think that's my but, main point about this match. It's the wrong yeah. match to have in front of this crowd. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because you seem to disagree with me. I, I was very bored in the match. You, you seem to have liked it a bit more. Why, why don't you tell us what you liked about the match? I think this match is great, probably because what's boring you is that there's a lot of builds. They're kind of feeling each other out. They go from like doing all those backslides and stuff and trying to do the pins and trying to do the combinations. And then there's like each of them gets periods where they get the upper hand and they get to do and they slowly unload everything that they can think of. And they're always trying something else and they're trying to whatever will go go across. I think they're really, really good at getting across their emotion of how frustrated they get and then when like they get the overtime and they have to keep going and then they have another overtime and it carries on like that and my god fuck this crowd because they don't give a shit about the match and they just complete it like it bombs entirely because they don't get any of this they have no interest in watching this kind of match this is like, very pure wrestling for sure like that's that's the big failure of the match like it's a great match but the crowd just doesn't care so does it really matter in the end there's a definite philosophical argument there where it's like if a match is really really good but it doesn't connect with the crowd can you really say it's a good match i think someone screws up by not telling them not to do another overtime we're skipping a bit ahead but to spoil the end a bit before we tell you who wins there it goes to a time limit draw by the way the commentators all the time from about let's say 15 minutes in asking how much time is left before it becomes an issue which I think ruins it commentary-wise a little bit. It goes to a time limit draw, then a five-minute extension, then a five-minute extension. The first time limit draw, the crowd are a bit baffled, and you can tell they're not happy that this match is going to be five more minutes. For the second extension, they are downright just booing both wrestlers, and they do not want to see this match anymore. Not even one of them is a bad guy, not even the wrong result. They just hate that the match is continuing. And that that is bad. Someone needs to make a call on the fly somewhere that is like, come on. They hate it. Just cut the match in half. Someone pin someone. So I think that's a bit of a fault of the guy. It's hard though. What, what did you think, Connor? What did you think of the match? Ugh, there's, there's a lot to bring in this match because I was so hyped up for it. I was looking, oh, Chris and Dean are going to have a match. And apparently it was highly rated match as well. So. Yeah. A few things. In the beginning, there was a lot of generic brawling. There was a nice delayed vertical suplex. So there's definitely some crisp moves in this match. So, I mean, I I was a little critical about the bridge spots. Just because I've seen these guys wrestle before. There was an awesome double crossbody spot where it was kind of like that even spot where they both go for each other and hit each other. That was probably my spot of the match. I love that. Normally, I do like longer matches as well. Like I said in the first episode, that I was a huge fan of the Iron Man match of Brett and Sean. Is there really a time limit in just regular matches or is this just like a special time limit for this uh, match i i don't know that going no. in really it's hard to tell because no match actually goes over a set time limit but for example the next match goes on for almost 18 minutes now there's a lot of preamble before a punch is thrown in the next match but we won't jump ahead too much but time limit is never mentioned in that match the outsiders tag team match is almost 15 minutes and it never says it's coming up to a time limit I hate that the continuity of time limit has never been an issue in any of our matches. That's randomly bringing up for this match. Yeah, It reminds me of a really old WWE match where 
technically, you're not allowed to punch someone with a closed fist. This is like a technical rule in like wrestling. But everyone does it. There was a match where Stephanie gets test disqualified because he's punching someone with a closed fist. I'm like, that is garbage. No one knows that's a rule. And that's the exact thing here. No one knows this is a rule. This is utter garbage. I want to say that at some point in WCW, they definitely have it for their TV title. That matches used to be 10 minutes time limit for TV match titles. Maybe they instituted some sort of rule for there is a a general time limit for like pay-per-view matches or regular matches, but it was kind of unspoken. So maybe it's an ingrained thing where if you've been following the company, you might understand what's going on. But I'm more likely to believe that it's WCW and they just went, uh, yeah, this will work. That does come across as a bit awkward. All right. I particularly one note that I, I really enjoyed in this match is uh, Heenan continuously being wrong about uh, it being a three count. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that because this that comes up in the pay-per-view so much. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> shoot. Is he doing that purpose? I don't I don't even know. Like, or is he just doing to, to troll Tony or something? I don't. I think he's doing it to troll Tony because he says it twice. And if you listen to Bobby's old matches, he does say it a lot. Oh, he's oh, he's got him. And it's It's a classic call. I don't mind it too much. But I think Tony points it out, and from that point, he very purposely does it for every pin. Yeah, Tony's like, you're getting these all wrong tonight, buddy. And he's like, oh, really? Yeah, I think that's part of my problem with this pay-per-view. It's good. Bobby, like, I tried to defend you last pay-per-view, but this one, I can't. You you just, you ruin a lot of the matches for me sometimes. Although, he did have the, the line of the the match, maybe the line of the pay-per-view for me. Bobby says the line, what is this, hockey? After the match was going into double overtime. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> I thought that was funny. What, what did you think of the, the finish, Connor? Uh, it was okay. I mean, it just kind of, there's a lot of finishers going around and i i'm I'm okay with the roll-ups and horsemen need to cheat as well woman woman gets involved with the roll-up and chris benoit end up winning the match so i'm I'm fine with it i have one small issue with the match i i think it's fine to say it's not boring and i can see how i i usually like kind of more pure wrestling matches i'm not sure i can't really put my finger on why i got so bored in this match one thing that irked me was uh chris using the cloverleaf on dean I'm like, okay, this is a nice touch. Chris is the heel. Technically, I get, they're kind of both heels. Again, the horseman dynamic. But Chris is being a bit heelish. He's using Dean's finisher. He's got it cinched in, middle of the ring. It's going to be this thing where, you know, Dean knows his own finisher so well he does a cool escape. But he doesn't. Chris just lets go. Dean no-sells his own finisher, essentially. And instead of just keeping a finisher locked in, which is so painful to finish his matches, Chris is like, oh, I'm bored. I'll just let Dean go. And just made Dean's finish look weak. I don't think I really cared that that was an issue in it. Just everything about the match was very well put together and it's very fluid and they obviously know each other wrestling over the years. So I really enjoyed this match. The crowd shits all over it. It's totally not, shouldn't be on this pay-per-view. It, it just shouldn't be what it is. I find the other part about it is I'm, I'm wondering how much of this is followed up on because after Benoit's attack on Kevin Sullivan that we saw at Bash of the Beach, no mention is made of it. Nothing happens throughout any of the Nitros. And while Jimmy Hart is like, oh, we're out to get the Horseman, it's not really a, I need Benoit done because Kevin is pissed off or something. It's not really followed up on. And I'm wondering if that's just it, if that's meant to be the big payoff there. It pretty much is. You've highlighted perfectly of what I just don't like about this match. It just doesn't fit the storyline. You have these long matches when you have like, oh, I'm better than you. Like, no, I'm the best wrestler. So that's why we had these long matches to to prove it or whatever. Or Flair works a long match because he's the dastardly heel and he's like, well, I'm just going to run it to time because I'm that good or whatever. 
And this is just like, oh, we're going to dismantle the horsemen by having long matches against them. And none of the dungeon members are going to come at ringside either. So it's just like longer matches work officially when pride's on the line as well. It just doesn't... Eh. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's just it's just not the time to have this match, though. It's not a very dungeon thing either. So it is very yeah. dungeon-y to get someone to pick apart your enemy that isn't you. But it's not nasty. Like They, they are trying to outlast each other and there's a lot of good spots and big moves and they're trying to one-up each other the whole time. But the dungeon is nasty and creepy and the, stupid. Yeah, and, and goofy and, and <laughs> a bit goofy and stupid. But they do things like bite you, or they have weird net. Like the the taskmaster himself bites people as a spot, or there's, get the leprechaun to or, exactly. But there's none of that nastiness. There's the cerebral kind ofness of Dean and trying to get the job done. But there's no I hate Chris or there's no dungeon members coming down and making life hard or chasing away woman. In fact, as you said, woman is the reason Chris wins. I, I can see why it's a good match. I'm, I'm not calling it so bad that I can't see its merit. You guys should go watch it yourself. It, it is a spectacle, and a lot of people rate it very highly. Probably out of the card, one of the uh, one of the matches you should judge for yourself. Though a bit, as we said, a very weird venue for such a pure wrestling match. Next is probably one of my favorite tag teams of all time. The fifth match, we go straight into Harlem Heat versus the Steiner Brothers. By the way, sorry, Harlem Heat are the current tag team champions at the time. This was a match that was on, wasn't was even on the card last time. This was a match that happened before the pay-per-view, last pay-per-view. And that gives us a good segue to talk about the massively bloated card that WCW has at this time. That a match that's deemed important enough to get 17, 50 minutes for this pay-per-view wasn't even on neither of the teams. Uh, sorry, one, one of the teams was on that pay-per-view last time. The, the champions weren't even on the pay-per-view last time. Well, we'll see that a few times. DDP was on the last pay-per-view, is not on this pay-per-view. As Gus brought to, up to me before recording this is Disco. We, he's on the last pay-per-view. We're not going to see him for the rest of the year. He's barely in anything. We don't see this. Disco has some issues with backstage as well. We, we're going to talk about a different time. We also have Randy. We're going to talk about that a bit more in the Outsiders match, why Randy isn't here. This isn't just like mid-card, guys. I can understand Tenta, Big Boss Man, Jim Duggan, DDP to an extent not showing up again. But the guys you're probably paying some of the most on the card aren't even on your card. It's, it's getting kind of silly. So while that's a bit silly and... This is just showing that, you know, an important tag team was didn't have any space on the last pay-per-view. We'll talk about that a bit more when it comes to the Outsiders match and Randy's absence. So again, we're tra- I'm trying to phrase this as delicately as possible. But Harlem Heat do come across very, uh, kind of very gangster and they do ham it up. And they are instantly hated by this crowd. I mean, Atomic Heat. We've got some reactions. We got some... We got some decent boos for Bull. You know, we got some decent boos for Ultimo Dragon, though in general, the crowd has kind of been partisan in general. But Harlem Heat comes out and they hate their guts. Steiners get massive pop. And the first, I have to say, it's at least five or six minutes. Booker T and Stevie just, they're they're giving the crowd everything. They're just pointing at individual people. They're threatening to come into the crowd and beat people up. The bikers definitely just want to fight them, which is a bit off-putting as well. A lot of this is awkward and off-putting, as you said, but at least the crowd is having fun participating. It's almost like it's a wrestling show now. So, like, I, I yeah. actually am like, hey, I can get interested in this now, especially coming from the long match before where the crowd's just like, meh. Yeah, uh. Also, before we dive into the match, as far as I know, there is no real build-up. This is not a... Uh, no, they, so, Dave, they, they have a, a match on Nitro the night after Bash of the Beach. 
Oh. And it's the Nasty Boys versus the Steiners for the number one contendership. Oh, so the, the Steiners do win it. Apologies. So the Steiners win. There isn't any particular hatred between the two teams or anything like that. It's just kind of like, I'm coming for your tag titles. Well, you're going to have to beat us and we're too good for you kind of kind of stick. So. Yeah, so it's pretty It's pretty normal. I, I am a big fan of Booker T in his WCW days, especially. Dave, that music. Love the Harlem Heat music. Yes. The reason the roof it doesn't happen for a while, but man, I, I didn't realize the Harlem Heat music was actually Booker T's music for a while. And yeah, man, yeah. This, this piece of music stood up to the test of time. It played throughout Booker T's career. Two theme songs on this pay per view that have st- stand out very, very well, uh, which is pretty incredible considering how poor a lot of the intro music can be in WCW. Uh, so it's quite good but my first note is I love Harlem Heat's theme music <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I'm my, totally my first note literally written down on the page Harlem Heat music is awesome I, I think it's better then than it ended up I like the whole can you dig it sucker later on but I think it's just great by itself it's kind of not it's not ominous but it's like kind of intimidating somehow it's sharp it's cool. It suits the tag team really well. And if you play this music, I'm like Booker T, Stevie Ray, straight away. Their classic runs. The same. The same with uh, other music from this. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the first times I've ever heard Stevie Ray being referred to as classic. Uh, <laughs> He's a classic when he was with Booker. Booker was so good. Sure. Booker is so good. He makes everyone else around him look great. Jumping ahead a very long amount of time. This isn't even the most ridiculous thing Booker T is involved in. Later on, Booker T has to feud. For the letter T. Like on Sesame Street. Ahmed Johnson comes over and I think he's called Big T. And he becomes Harlem Heat with Stevie. And Booker and Big T got a feud for the letter T. Because Teddy Long I think is the manager at that stage. And he like says he owns. I don't know. But (laughs) basically. (laughs) It's best not to think about it. Basically Booker T is great. And he makes do with the most ridiculous gimmicks. I'm just fanboying over Booker T at the moment, I guess. Booker is very good, and he's like a proper homegrown style boy. So it's cool to see him evolve. Yeah, because like he he's a tag wrestler for a very long time, but he does finally get his due. In, in that regard, let's let's go to the Steiners because we haven't seen the Steiners yet. So it's yeah. it's oh, this is man, it's weird seeing Scott in this part of his career. <laughs> I, th- th- we're we're catching the end of Scott being a good wrestler. As much yeah. as it's really easy to make fun of Scott in the later years, especially the big Papa Pump stuff, and how bad he gets at wrestling in the later years, Scott was a big deal on American circuits for a long time. There's a reason they call it the Frankensteiner, and that's because he kind of brought it over to America. He kind of made it mainstream. And there's a lot of moves he tries. Do you know that he does a fallaway slam? You won't see it. He, he hasn't done it for years. He does a fallaway slam where he has them in the fallaway slam position. And he does a standing moonsault with them in his hands. That's absolutely insane. The version I've seen, it almost kills him. He's so close to catching his neck between his opponent and the mat. But he just about clears it. Yeah, so Scott is this like amazing athlete early on in his career. And Scott and Rick are very good tag team specialists for a very long amount of time. There's a lot of individual points in his career as well that Scott is touted for an individual run. But he doesn't want to leave his brother. He could have been a huge star if he'd given up on his brother even remotely earlier because they wanted to push him to the moon and this i'm not talking like maybe two or three years before this we're talking like mid to late 80s that they wanted him to be the guy that and maybe 
would have been the guy instead of Sting. And this, this was going to be one of their big promo guys. He was going to be the guy who beat Flair and be the white bread baby face like Hogan style. And he'd be the one beating up all the monsters and stuff. And he was just like, no, got, got to take care of Rick as well. So he just stuck around the, as a tag title guy for, for a very, very long time. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the meat of the match a little bit. I think it's a pretty classic, like a pretty normal formula tag team. Atomic heat on the heels. They, they're they kind of getting the crowd more and more into it. They it starts off with some really big uh, pops when the Steiners get into the match. And I'll have to stop you right there too. We, we, have to, we have to mention that like the people were revving up their bikes so much that yeah. it was making Booker T so angry. <laughs> riling up the crowd and the crowd would just keep responding by by beeping their horns just revving up their bikes more for sure this is one of the bigger crowd reactions i might have ever seen in a wrestling show there's yeah. there was like and, genuine hate for harlem heat in that in well that yeah place. this is when the confederate flag was pulled out it was yeah. at this particular point so i was like okay this yeah, is where we're this, going with this this crowd is not does not like one of the teams in the, in the ring and you can figure out quite quickly which one it is they do not waste their time in making sure and making it known like like you said earlier, Dave, there's a good five, six minutes of stalling because they're just like, yeah, let's just get the crowd going. Yep. I don't have to do anything. It looks like I'm doing an amazing job. Like this is the opposite of, say, of Chris and Dean. Chris and Dean do maybe part of why Chris and Dean's doesn't work is that instead of figuring out what they should do, they go too far and they go, no, this is the way wrestling is supposed to be. And you should like this. Meanwhile, the two tag guys are like, well, obviously we've hit a gold mine. Let's just go with it. Let's just take it easy and we can do these spots and we'll get over huge. And it's fine. And it works really, really well. Yeah, Booker and Stevie Ray are really intelligent here. Just milking the crap out of it. I, I, I would bet this match was supposed to be a lot shorter, but they just spend so much time. Yeah, I, I believe it too, because Stevie Ray at some points, he just looks completely lost. He's like, what, what am I supposed to be doing here? He's like, yeah. he'll do like one move. He'll do his rest spot, and then, hey, Booker T, I don't know what to do anymore. Can you help me out here? Just shout out the crowd some more. Point out one of the people. I love it. Oh, man. Stevie Ray is so bad. Dave, like, <laughs> you have your Conan. Stevie Ray is my Conan. I, I have gone completely heel on Stevie Ray. You still love Harlem Heat, though, right? Still love them, though. Yeah, you still love Harlem Heat. Booker it's is so funny. good. Yeah, Booker is so good, he's his own tag team. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys, do you think this is a completely fucked up ending? The double yeah. throw? No, I, th- I think it's a, a fake out ending. I think it's supposed to have the crowd believing that the good guys are going to win just to dash their hopes at the last second. But it happened so fast that I'm like, were you actually meant to hit him or did you just mess up and then you're like, fuck, better do it again. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I would argue, why would both of them have sand and, or whatever it is, salt or sand in their... It's and. white powder. Come on. <laughs> we have to bring it that it's white powder. But yeah, they're, they're, of course, the heels win with some uh, with some shenanigans. Yeah, I kind of think it's weird that the heels win. Again, spoilers for the future matches. That's five heel wins in a row in this card. So Benoit is technically the heel, though I think both of them are the heel. Harlem Heat take this one home. Uh, again, bit of a spoilers for the next ones we're going to go through. But there are heel winners yeah. in the next three matches. And you have this crowd that's not familiar with wrestling. You have Atomic Heat on Harlem Heat. I know it's titles and it's really hard to plan around. But surely you have to put the Steiners over here, right? you got to give the crowd something to cheer for. It's probably a booking type of philosophy thing. I know WF certainly used to do it where they would have like face heel, face heel. And they would try and balance it out. And then maybe you try as much as possible to have a good guy win at the end. 
so that the crowd goes happy and, and so on but I don't know I didn't I didn't really miss that like oh there's no good guys winning because maybe that's on purpose uh, yeah. as we'll get to because of what's going on so maybe it's that kind of way I mean it's arguable with particularly in the next match when we get to it that maybe that person has to win because of what of his promo earlier in the night and him not winning would be weird and then the other two matches after that if they don't win doesn't it kind of kill the angle this might be the first match that you're kind of going well maybe if you wanted a good guy to win you probably have to have the Steiners win but sometimes it's it's okay I think so long as you're not doing it consistently and it's boring for fans I think it's okay to have say that many heels win every now and again and be like oh it's it didn't really bother him that much. I thought this match was pretty good. I mean, I, yeah. obviously, overall, I enjoyed it just most because the crowd was into it. I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I'm really happy I get to see Harlem Heat because I just haven't seen that many of Booker T's early matches. And he's supposed to have some really good ones in this kind of era. So I'm really happy I get to watch them. It is uncomfortable. As much as it's cool that he's getting Atomic Heat and it's really good for the wrestling industry, there's just a little bit of discomfort for the whole match because you know where the heat is coming from. Maybe I'm looking into it too much, and I hate to paint the whole crowd in one brush. I'm sure there's lots of people that just hated Stevie and Booker because they were good heels and they watched the product, but it, it certainly didn't feel entirely that way. And I'm hoping that there's some just normal wrestling matches in Harlem Heat's future, but with the kind of angles they're trying to give them, I, I don't know if I, I'll get that. We will move on to the next segment, which is another kind of montage put together. We see a lot of the WCW guys on their bikes making their way down to the rally. Uh, I can't remember. Do you guys remember where they traveled from, where they say they traveled from? I don't remember. Like, I just remember there's Bischoff and there's weird audio clips that are kind of inaudible. I don't know what, what those clips come from. It's just this this whole package is very random. Yeah. I, I kind of I switched off. I, about all I really <laughs> noticed of this promo is that they reuse footage from the very opening segment. Yeah. Yes. That there was a woman that's dressed really weirdly, like some... She's wearing a metallic <laughs> bikini... And they, they use her a couple times in these montages. It looks really weird. Yeah. Eric is in this video, though he is not in the pay-per-view and was not in the last pay-per-view. I mean, he does, doesn't seem to be an announcer for their pay-per-views at this point in time. I don't think it's anything really out of the ordinary. Like, he only does the second era of Nitro. Like, yeah. I don't think he does Saturday Night or anything like that, so... It's his role kind of changes right now. Yeah. It's... He was such a focus back at Bash at the Beach. Now it's kind of dumbed down. It's a it's a weird dynamic of where yeah. his character is kind they, of changed. Do they, do they already know that he's like a higher up in the company? They sort of allude to it a little bit because yeah. there was one time there was a Nitro where he just doesn't show up, and he they kind of say, "Oh, he's kind of checking on the wrestlers who are in the hospital from from that backstage kind of like attack as well." Yeah, because so, they they get it across when Bobby argues with them. Like, Bobby definitely comes across as the employee talking to his boss going, why aren't you doing something about this? So, I think it's alluded to, but it's not explicit anyway. We get to see kind of, I think, Eric's craving to be cool, and it's definitely going to come up in other pay-per-views. Like, there's not much need for him to be in this video, but he is. We also see Medusa on the bike that she brings to the Battle of the Bikes. We see the Steiners and their leather get-ups. So, it's weird, but it's, it's fine. I, I would have called it good if they hadn't reused so much of the stock footage from the first bit. I wouldn't call it good either because yeah. it just randomly cuts out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some quality editing going on there. Yeah, the, the editing isn't great. It, it's a fine idea, but it doesn't come across great. And it breaks up the matches a little bit. We just came off two pretty long matches for WCW Standard. You bring up a good point, actually. Compared to the last pay-per-view that had so many different interviews, this one like doesn't really have any promos or anything, which is yeah. slightly refreshing because we had like one really good one. They're like, that's all we need. 
That's fine. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to a match I really enjoyed. We get Ric Flair as still United States champion. We saw him have that title at the last pay-per-view against Eddie Guerrero. This is the first time we're seeing Eddie on a pay-per-view. 14 minutes, 14 second match. I would have liked a little bit if Rick had come to the ring a bit more sullen because his interview is a bit more sullen. But he's full nature boying it up with woman and Miss Elizabeth on the way out. There's no, there's not an amazing amount of build-up. It's really similar to the Conan match. And to be honest, the match itself is very similar to the Conan match. Except Eddie is just a much better wrestler. So I think it comes across a lot better. There's a, there's a small difference as Eddie's kind of honoring his family here. There was a random match, which I really wish they just recap or mention that he's sticking up for Chavo Guerrero. Oh, apparently there was a match. Yes, yes. Yeah, there was like a match on Saturday night that Flair attacked Chavo. He held the figure four and like wouldn't let go. It just I don't know why they don't show a recap or even mention it. They they do yeah. it on Nitro. Yeah, it so, would have taken twenty seconds to mention. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I you know they could have had Chavo at ringside something. I think as well it's separate from that is um it seems to be kind of like a reward for Eddie because Eddie's on a bunch of the nitros and he gets a couple of wins and he's like kind of coming along so it's like kind of going well you're doing okay so let's see how you do with Rick see if you can go out there and have a good match and and so on Connor, why don't you bring us through a couple of the spots in the match ahead of, ahead of match runs? Ugh, okay. <laughs> oh, there's some good ones. I actually do like this match a lot, except one or two two points. To start off, though, I, I actually, it's weird seeing Eddie at this point because of his mullet, and I can see why he just didn't really make it anywhere. Obviously, there was politics involved, but Eddie's yeah. look here, not the best. Nope, not at all. His in-ring ability, awesome. The jacket as well. The jacket's really poor. The, the weird yeah. kind of half prince esque jacket yeah it's, his his mustache everything his presentation's not great i don't even remember I, what his music is either i will say eddie looks really healthy here in his wwe days he's very good but he looks way too muscular for his frame and i know that was very much a, a vince mcmahon thing you're too small you gotta be bigger to be main event and you know what it's a bit of a wcw thing as well don't get me wrong but eddie bulks up a lot in the later years he looks athletic and svelte here and i i kind of like that better on him I, I just think he looks great so before i get into the match a little bit i wanted to point out here bobby at this point at the pay-per-view he appears to be just noticeably drunker yeah <laughs> yeah most notably when arguing about how eddie has no chance in beating flair what is I it think eddie guerrero well probably like a rick flair and thinking he can beat him but sure he should he wouldn't well, of course beat him he should, should but you're not gonna beat rick flair Eddie Guerrero's not in the same. I disagree with you. I think that's your uh, Rick Flair because Rick Flair is mentally sharper than Eddie Guerrero. All right. I, I like the awkward pause from Tony. He just, he just doesn't know how to respond to what Bobby's just like. Oh, he's slurring so badly. It's just, it's hilarious. You've, you've reminded me that he has a wonderful interplay with Dusty because. When woman comes out earlier with Chris, Bobby's like, oh, look at the gams on her. <laughs> and then during this match, he says it again. He's like, man, look at those gams. And Dusty goes, hams? I Ooh. love them hams. <laughs> like, no, Dusty, we're not talking about food right now. But thanks for trying. Yeah, that, the, the, the gams thing gets mentioned a couple times. And at one stage, one of them says, no, I said gams on her, on her legs. And Dusty goes, hams are on legs. 
The great other great thing that Dusty always says, he refers to women as devilish women. Oh, you know? yeah. So WWF, they always, they, uh, women are Jezebels, but in WCW, women are devilish women. But I don't even think it's other women. I think it's just woman. Like, I think that's all he can refer to as. She's a devilish woman. I, a it, devilish. It gets he on says my it nerves so many so times. It gets on my nerves so much. <laughs> the first couple times, I'm like, okay, that's a descriptive, I guess. But my God, he says it. Ev- if he says it every pay-per-view, I'm going to I'm gonna go crazy. Uh, I, I'd say so. <laughs> but uh, getting into the match, though, Matt starts with, like, a lot of lockups, pushing back and forth, flare bumping like a boss. They exchange slaps. Uh, you know, Eddie wins the initial intimidation. Kind of, they have like a standoff. See who, who's like who's the better man here. Eddie does apply the figure four. Of course he does. Rick has never actually used that move. Just all of Rick's opponents. I don't think he's ever lost to it though either. No. Again, this is my point. Oh, my finish is so good it makes people tap out. Yeah. What happens if it goes on you? Ah, oh, it's not. It's not great. Oh well, he knows how to get out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knows how the inner workings of it, Dave. So it's fine. Bobby also butchers it. Bobby's like, "Oh, he's not in trouble here." Dusty's like, "What do you mean he's not in trouble?" He's like, "Oh, he's not in trouble until he like turns it over." Do you mean his finisher doesn't hurt Bobby? Is that what you're trying to tell the people? <laughs> and his finisher doesn't do anything? Okay, sure. Well, Bobby's part. job is to tell you how this match is going to finish it up. That's that's what yeah. his job. Is. Yeah, his yeah. I'd make a lot of mentions about did the match is over. No, it's a two count. Okay. Yeah, favorite move of the match, though. Lovely de- tornado DDT by Eddie Guerrero. So good. Selling by Flair is also top-notch here. I, yeah. I always love the selling job from Flair. I think uh, Flair does a really good job here of making Eddie look great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he gives him loads of time. He gives him loads of moves. He doesn't, like, sandbag him or just not make him look very good. He's, like, full-on. Like, yeah, this guy, I'm going to make him look like he has a chance to beat me it comes across really well and then so then when the finish does happen it does look like you're like ah oh, Eddie kind of got screwed there he could have won I think it plays out quite well it's just Flair being the veteran guy outlasting the other guy and just waiting for that moment when he knows he can take advantage of it yeah that's kind of where the match falls apart for me I, I, want, I want to hear what you guys think about this so Eddie goes for the frog splash he mm. seems to hit it fine but he yeah. starts selling he injured his knee his knee like, yeah it's another one of those moments I'm like I had to rewind I'm like what happened like I don't I don't yeah. understand I, I don't mind the spot too much it's a bit sloppy because eddie hits his finish so technically rick should be down for a while but he gets up pretty soon after because eddie's selling the hurt knee now rick works on the knee a bit and the finish is rick gets to figure four he holds the top rope for a little while and then woman pulls back his hands to help leverage it which i have no idea why that would leverage it but eddie keeps his shoulders down for a tree count which is also a bit odd i thought eddie would submit i don't think there's any shame in eddie tapping out i don't know why eddie has to stay down for the tree count from a submission i I don't think i've ever seen anyone stay down for a tree count from a submission that isn't like a sleeper that's putting them to sleep or i think that's what that's what i'm trying to say is that like rick's not beating him because he's better than him rick's beating him because eddie makes a mistake okay i can buy that i think that's what they're trying to show is that he's like look this guy is as good as me and if he didn't fuck up so much I would have lost here but I got away with one because I know all the different tricks and I know all the different ways because I'm smarter than him I'm not physically better I'm just better at taking advantage of stuff I I do like the selling of the knee I I don't mind that spot it's another spot that isn't going to come off to the crowd though the crowd didn't know what happened they thought Eddie hit a high risk maneuver clean and it probably should be over or near fall so the crowd didn't really know how to react to that Overall, the crowd reaction was a bit weird in this match because both men were the face. Like, it, it's again the classic horseman, Rick is the heel, but everyone loves Rick Flair. And Eddie is just white as bread, babyface here. The, the only time they really make noise is the, the spot where they 
where Eddie kind of pulls down his trunks, like exposing Flair's ass. It actually gets yeah. a decent pop, too. Dusty <laughs> yeah. them. They, they <laughs> Dusty Note has the line of the match, I think. He had him by a crack there, boys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I do enjoy the match. I do agree with Gus. I think that Eddie looks like a million bucks through the entire match. And the finish does make Eddie look a little bit incompetent, but strong. Noteworthy is Flair gets very little offense in. Like, very little. We're talking about him bumping, but he doesn't only bump very well. Eddie is on top for 90% of the match and looks great. Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked ahead now, so I don't know exactly. But knowing WCW, I fully expect to not see Eddie for at least a month because yeah. they'll just forget we, about We do him. see him, but just not going after the US title. Yeah, yeah. That's, that sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed the match. I think it's good. I don't think it's amazing, Randon. I think it does a good job putting over Eddie. That, that's the main thing. And Rick does his best. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll slightly disagree with you guys. I, d- I didn't like the match too much. I think Bobby ruined most of it for me. Although Dusty does actually salvage the commentary here. He like he recalled like the difficult parts of like wrestling Flair and preparing for matches against Flair and how like Eddie at one point he was like riding emotion and he should be careful because making mistakes when riding emotions can be disastrous for him. So it was it was really weird. Like I actually Dusty actually gave real commentary. I was actually impressed. <laughs> a, a moment of clarity. <laughs> all the all the rubber sharks. I'll make note. She's been to the ring already, but Miss Elizabeth and Woman, I think, is the funniest dynamic. Because I, I said this in the last cast, but Miss Elizabeth just looks kind of embarrassed to be there. She has like leather on, and it's a bit skimpy, and she has like a kind of shy smile on her face, like "Oh, I don't know what I'm doing here." Where a woman is just embracing it. For for those of you who haven't got to see Woman, she she is quite irritating. But I would say she's like the Vicky Guerrero. <laughs> of this era she's not irritating in a way that's you know she doesn't know what she's doing she's very purposely irritating people i, I don't know it's not very dynamic but it's, it's a good character and she makes people mad she gets a reaction out of crowds for example for the first bit of this match rick is spending his time taking a few lumps from eddie and then getting out of the ring to recuperate and just small things like woman standing in front of rick and staring down eddie as in you know you're not coming out here you're not touching rick stuff like that adds a bit to the match where Elizabeth just does not know what to do. It's kind of funny enough, she's like Deborah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's exactly like that, where she's just the crowd lover, and she has this residual uh, loyalty from when she was there in the early days, but she really doesn't contribute much to anything of any of these matches. Unlike Woman, who is actually contributing to the storyline of these matches. Elizabeth is not is not meant to be a, a bad guy. That, that's <laughs> no. <laughs> basically what it is. It's... She just doesn't know what she's supposed to be doing here. She's just too nice. She looks too nice. Yeah, she does. <laughs> to be a bad person. So you're not expecting her to ever do anything like that. No. I think even when she does do those kind of things, you're kind of rude for her anyway. It's like, oh, but you probably... Yeah, you that guy deserved it. You did whatever. You, like, so. you tried. You tried so hard to interfere in that match, and we're proud of you. And, it, and she's always smiling. She, she can't help it. She always has a little smile on her face. But it's not like seductive, or as Dusty would say devilish or devious it's just like hey i'm here i'm here to smile <laughs> it's, like, it's just her resting resting smiling face yeah it's that's, a, that's a, <laughs> there's a camera yeah. on me kind of smiling face so yeah. i think watching her is really funny and her just complete inability to play anyone but normal elizabeth we go from this into a mean gene oakland interview and i'm not even going to try and describe what Hart has to say you just got to hear it for yourself I'm talking about the Giant along with manager Jimmy Hart a little bit later on tonight, a title defense. We talk about the sunset, but some say the sun may be setting on world championship wrestling. 
because of the New World Order, Jimmy. Hogan, tonight's a giant step for you. Don't trip and fall because nobody's going to be there to pick you up. D. Mosterhurst, he definitely has that written right in front of him line. It's even more rehearsed than him trying to sell you Hogwild t-shirts previously on this pay-per-view. And afterwards, Giant has a rambling. Giant, we talked about this earlier in the live show on TBS. You're going to be facing Hulk Hogan. Here's a man that you idolize. What is going through your mind as we speak at this hour? What's going through my mind right now is a long history of betrayal. When I was a kid, I was by far the biggest Hulk Hogan fan in the world. And I saw your true colors way before the rest of the world did. When you came out on Nitro and you told the kids and the fans of the world to stick it, you reminded me of the pain you caused me. Well, believe me, Hogan, tonight in Sturgis, I'm going to be the one to stick it. I'm going to stick my hand right around your neck. I'm going to squeeze it till your eyes pop. And I'm going to drive your neck right through the ring. Hogan, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Tonight, I lay the holster to rest. I'll say the start of the Giants interview isn't bad. He talks about when he was young, liking Hulk Hogan, and how Hulk Hogan not only turned on the WCW, on all the young fans, but then it goes off into uncoherent ramblings and <laughs> something about rest and peace and like he becomes the Undertaker for a second. What what did you guys <laughs> make of, of Young Giant's attempt at cutting a promo? I mean, it was fucking awful. I mean, <laughs> in, in comparison to, he actually delivers a good promo on Nitro. I can't remember what it was. The, no, it was the Nitro with the, the backstage like, attack. And uh, Yeah, it's after his world title match. He, uh, he They finished Nitro. And uh, he does a promo. Actually, that's one thing I find really weird and really strange about Nitro. Every week finished on a promo. It's really, really odd. And I, d- I don't think I like it. It's I don't I don't know if it's better or worse than the way like WWE would start with a promo. Oh, it has to be better than that. That was That's so bad. No, because it, a lot of the time, David, it really sucks out all of the flow and whatever's happened throughout the night. Because everybody's like, they'll watch a match and then there's this like five to ten minute cool down period where there's like an interview with the guys in the ring or whatever. And it just everything kind of sucks out any energy. So there's never, there was never anything like shocking happened. Apart from maybe the one week with, um, there's a limo and Sting and the guys go to the limo and they're given a bag. But like, (laughs) it's, we'll get, we'll get into it now in a sec because I like, that giant promo is totally throwaway. It's it's so generic and it's so bland. Basically, you could send anybody out to do that promo and they would probably do a reasonable I, job at it. Why I say I like the start of it is because he starts off... I made this comment in the last cast. He is shouting all the time. In ring, in his promos, taking a shower at night, I bet. This man is shouting. And that's because he thinks that's what he needs to do to intimidate people. But when he starts off the promo in a low serious voice i'm like oh so rick had this like cool sit down promo you know jimmy said his things but you you can't teach jimmy how to cut a promo it's been 50 years since he learned how it's not going to work all of a sudden but maybe giant has got the memo and it's going to be low serious you know you are my hero but now i'm coming to get you i can't believe you turned your back no he has to crescendo he cannot not shout in an interview and i'm like oh i thought he got the tone right but sure we'll just go back to shouty giant thanks so this leads into 
The Outsiders versus Sting and Lex Luger. We get about a 14 and a half minute match here. The crowds start to get into it now because as we've pointed out before, these pay-per-views are just vehicles to deliver the NWO. And this is the first taste that the crowd will get of them. There's been no shenanigans on the early pay-per-view like people thought there might be. There was talks early on about Ray and a fourth man, but they were dropped kind of fast and forgotten about, unlike third man from the last pay-per-view. I love the opening. The rock, paper, scissors between Nash and Hall to decide who goes first. That is Mm, such a cool, arrogant heel move. And I'm starting to see why people start liking the heels more than the faces. Because Scott and Hall have more personality than half their roster put together at this stage in their run. Connor, why don't you give us a bit of a rundown of of the run into this match? Well, there's really not much i mean it's no. just a grudge match between these two teams and the 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 next match is obviously the big like storyline match this is just kind of left over well we need you guys to feud with the outsiders because somebody needs to beat them up that's really much it Am I, i'm not missing anything here right no I, as far as i could no. see it's just been a constant these are, are the two big wcw guys so they were always gonna face national hall of, of note, Macho Man is missing, but in the yes. Nitros, he's threatened Hogan, and a lot of people thought he was going to be involved in the main event. He is, seems to be targeting specifically Hogan for his turn coterie, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more into the main event. When they come out to the ring, we get Pyro for Team WCW, so I do like that. I do think it makes it feel a bit more special, like the company is spending, almost like the company is spending more money on the tag team they like. But we get our first pay-per-view Outsiders music. We were talking about how much we like Harlem Heat. Yeah. This music yeah. is so awesome. I wanted to ask you guys, uh, you know it's just a bunch of Jimi Hendrix songs put together, kind of, right? Yeah. I, did, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, it's, it's really well put together. And like the Harlem Heat team, this one holds up. You can listen to that. It's still cool. You'll still remember it. You'll still see all those, all the moments and so on about it. So, yeah, it's it's very cool. I like the, pro, the pyro as well. I agree with you, Dave, that they have that thing to it. One thing I wanted to say when you were mentioning that the crowd is getting more into it, not only are they bigger guys, Dave, Sting and Luger are like, have been wrestling legitimately now for at least 15 years. They've been big dudes in WCW for a very long time. Lex has his short kind of ill-advised run in WWF where he they tried to make him into the next Hogan. So he was a, treated like a really big deal there. When it didn't work, he came back. So this is like, these are two of the biggest guys in WCW's history right now and they're wrestling off. So it really does pay off that this is a big deal. They're not just wrestling two mooks like to take over the company. They're they're wrestling the best that WCW has to offer, as they say, minus maybe Macho, which I, I don't get why he's not there. Even if he says he's going to threaten Hogan, it, it just doesn't feel right for him not to show up, even to be in their corner, because as we'll find out when we when we discuss the match like it's it's kind of a thing that happens do you guys think this is a good match i actually don't so you guys were saying that the crowd was into us i didn't really get that vibe at all i don't think this match has that intensity or big fight feel as say something like the bash at the beach was i mean oh no no maybe part of this was the crowd but i think the wrestlers too like i didn't see that fire from Luger and Sting. I mean, these are the guys that, you know, they put Arn Anderson on a commission. They put out other WCW wrestlers on a commission. Like, this should be a blood feud, you would think. And it just, it didn't seem like that. You, you see what happens in the in the buildup and you bring it to the match. And like here, it just didn't seem yeah. to work. 
the big problem I have with this match. So I'm going to talk about the finish, if that's okay with you guys, just to point out my big problem with yeah, this. Yeah, do match. it. I mean, there's not that many yeah. great spots in this. It, match. It's a really typical tag team match. One of the biggest spots is Kevin Nash spitting at Sting to get him hyped up for the match, and then it's very classic heel against face, isolating one of the faces. Lex Luger ahead of steam. But the finish is awful. So the finish is Lex Luger has... Yeah, he has Hall up in the rack. Hall's foot kind of knocks off of Nick Patrick and he kind of stumbles and looks like they might do a, a referee knocked out spot. But then he fist drops the back of Luger's knee, tries to make it look like an accident, but couldn't make it look like it was on purpose anymore if he tried. Like big old fist drop right to the back of the knee. And then Fast counts a tree while Luger is down and Scott gets on top of him. And then the commentary team are left going, oh, was that a fast count? That seemed weird. I wouldn't even mind this spot as ridiculous as it is because why would one fist drop to a back of a knee even facilitate a fast tree count? These guys have been beating the crap out of each other. If the commentating team would have went, oh, Nick Patrick double-crossed us, like even made it obvious. Also in this match, you had Bobby Heenan cheering for Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. This was another thing I wanted to bring up too. It was weird. Is he doing this on purpose again? Like, it's so I th- weird. I think he's drunk because I, 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 spoilers, I looked into the future. I thought he turned. I was like, okay, at the next Nitro, he's going to go, I am one of the fourth guys, you know, WCW have their own commentary team. Because I'm not sure of what order people join the organization in beyond this point. But that doesn't seem to happen. Am I wrong? I did some research. I haven't watched the Nitros yet. No, nope. don't think Bobby changes, no. Nope. Not, not only does he not change, but according to what I've looked up, he actively still dislikes the WCW. He doesn't even tweener. Uh, he, sorry, he actively dislikes the NWO and cheers for even faces that are against the N- uh, NWO. So it seems like he just completely is drunk at this stage and doesn't know what's happening. And he apologizes profusely. And again... The apologizing makes it seem like it's an angle and he's going to turn on Dusty. And I thought, that's kind of cool, but it doesn't happen. So don't, don't get your hopes up if you're looking at this. There's not a cool yeah. brain becomes one I, of the I managers. Mean, to explain the, the finish a little bit, this is the start of an angle. This won't be the last time you see Nick Patrick like this. Uh, I won't go too much into it if you want. If you don't want it to be entirely spoiled on you. That is to start something. Yeah. But it's still really, really bad. Like yeah, I, it's done poorly. They could have done a lot of things with it. They could have just had a normal fast count. They don't have to have Nick hit him. Because it's not just the the way Nick gets hit and then he does like a, a proper wily e. coyote kind of like stumble around the ring. Yeah. He's like my eye like there's no way that hurt that you did that as much. The only like ref job I've seen worse than that is the referee from Houston who somehow passes out for fifteen minutes at a WrestleMania. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's the greatest ref sell job I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really poor ending. Like, the match is fine. Just ruins what's going on. And it, it kind of cheapens the, the outsiders. Like, they're supposed to be, like, big dudes and, like, Badasses. a big deal. And that's how you win. My main problem is it's not it's not a well-done ending. Because I don't mind the outsiders, again, cheating. They're the bad guys. But it's not even a cool, badass cheat. It's not even just, like, what's that over there, ref? Kick the guy. Flair does it in a match. He just, go, he just absolutely punts... Uh, Guerrero in the nether regions in the middle of the match when the ref isn't looking it's not even something kind of cool like that it's Nick Patrick fist drops Lex Luthor into the back of the knee in the most unconvincing stumble I've ever seen in my life I, I think you're right Gus I think it cheapens what was a fine match that needed a big heat finish Connor what are your thoughts on the, the finish 
Yeah, you, I've, you've kind of convinced me too, because I, I thought it was okay just because we're introducing this storyline of a crooked ref and how NWO is kind of taking over in different realms of WCW because they've had the, you know, the segments going uh, in the production truck and stuff like that. So they're they're finding different ways to invade WCW, and this is kind of like another way. And crooked refs are kind of like a real thing too in sports as well. So it's yeah, outsiders they just kind of get lost in the shuffle here. It, this pay per view is about Hogan. It's uh, that's all it is. It's weird again, just seeing nobody at ringside for WCW. It doesn't really feel like these two companies are feuding or anything. Like, outsiders just come out in their black and red for some reason. I don't know why they're not wearing black and white. Nobody attacks them backstage or anything like that. Like, these these guys have nuclear heat right now in the company. Like, yeah. they, they should not be allowed to walk in just regularly in and out. Like, they should be coming in from the crowd. I'd be, I, <laughs> this is probably the wrong pay-per-view to do that that kind of thing. But yeah. minor, minor thing, minor thing. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I hated this match. The ending really takes it down. Like, there's some fine wrestling in there, but it's still not as bad as something else, though. <laughs> I think if the ending would have been a bit uh, nastier, like, even if you yeah. want them to cheat really underhanded or really hurt one of the guys in the ring, like, at the start of the match, the commentators talk up that Lex hasn't been the same, basically, since the match. So Sting, like, basically hurt his neck. And then they made some kind of comment towards him getting hurt again in like a nitro or I, I think he lost a match because of the injury in the nitro I can't remember exactly how they phrase it you know hand that up have them attack Lex's ne- uh, neck have them try and concuss him again and make it look like they're really trying to take one of these big stars out of the equation or as you said have Randy Savage like at ringside and they could have made it look like they injured Randy one of the tag team partners has to run out save Randy and then they get a cheap win but the way they did it, I like the Nick Patrick. I, I'm on your side, Connor. I, I like the Nick Patrick storyline. It's a really weird time and place to introduce it. So many good ways to do it. It's not a bad idea for a storyline, but it really ruins the end of what's a fine match, I think. Yeah, they do, they do pull it off a little bit better. We'll talk about more in the next pay-per-view. That, but they are more subtle with this storyline going forward, at least. Uh, it's weird getting a referee over in the storyline. They should be probably putting other wrestlers over more. They should give them <laughs> them storylines. But yeah. I, I, was, I was still impressed with how they, they pull this off. More details. We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I, yeah more to follow, I, for I, sure. I do like your comparison to... In sports, people think referees are crooked or they hate referees. Yeah, so well, I, they, sometimes they actually are. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's not a bad... It's not bad to try and draw them in as characters because there is a hatred for referees especially uh, i think especially in some american sports so i get them trying to bring it in just poor execution but we're, we're gonna go to the meat and potatoes of this pay-per-view what everyone's here to see it's the hollywood hulk hogan versus the giant who is the reigning world heavyweight champion with jimmy hart at this stage the match itself i'm not too sure what to think of but first do you, do you want to give us a little bit of the history for this connor so this feud is it's a pretty standard feud. Uh, Hogan and a random Nitro where like there was a bunch of like WCW talent not at Nitro, so NWO comes out as like oh well none of like the top talent in WCW are here, so we can kind of get away with coming out here and cutting promos. Hogan cuts a promo on the fans and he basically just challenges the Giant to a title match. Later on, Giant accepts. He's just kind of like I'm accepting this chance to kind of defend WCW. Like, the, the promo that I was talking about earlier that was actually a decent promo of how he was just making fun of Hogan's. Like, look, you're out making movies, but I'm here defending the title every day. He's kind of putting himself over as kind of like the workhorse champion, which he kind of kind of has. He's wrestled a decent amount of matches as champion, but, I mean, most of them have been the same. Squash matches in a couple minutes, but his reign as heavyweight champion has been pretty consistent, and 
decent. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the Giant as a top guy in, in a company, as we've seen that in WWF later on in his career. So the the main reason why Hogan challenges Giant, because they, the NWO, they want the WCW belt, and they want to make it their own. That's that's the big part of this this match, and that that's, I guess, why I kind of am okay with this match. Yeah, and that, that feels important. That does feel important. What's going to happen when they own that belt? That's our belt. They can't. They can't make that an NWO belt. That's not their belt, and they they make it sound like they can take away the importance of the belt. That they can corrupt it almost. That's kind of cool, and I think that's why a lot of people got in to the NWO. This, this kind of idea of almost corrupting these normal wrestling ideas that were going around that were getting a bit stale. I think to a lot of fans at this stage, with two companies doing really similar things in the NWO blowing this all away what, what what did you think of Augusta the build into the match and kind of the occasion I hate this match uh, <laughs> I mean I, I like the idea of what you're saying is being built up of that Hogan is is out to get the belt and they're gonna this is how they're gonna take over the WCW and the NWO is gonna take over that's all fine but sweet lord this match is bad oh, it's it's total crap it, like it doesn't it doesn't come across well at all and in typical, just because of how shit the crowd has been, the crowd love this match. The crowd can't help but cheer Hogan. And, like, all he's doing is being a complete dick. I, there's so many back rakes and eye pokes. Hair pulls. And there's so many times that he rolls to the outside. And, like, Bobby defends him a bunch in this match, right? Isn't he the one who's like, yeah, he's being the smart veteran and stuff? And you're like... Yeah, again, this is where I thought Bobby was going to turn. Oh, this this is so clever. I hate Hogan, but this is very clever by him. He's a very good wrestler. I hate him, but he's a very good wrestler. Like, yeah, Bobby's going to turn at the end of this pay-per-view, right? Yeah, it's it's just kind of weird. And I will say I'm I'm glad that Hogan has, he upped his attire game. Because on the Nitros, he looks like one of the silliest B-movie villains you can come <laughs> across. Like, he's wearing all black, but it's like black spandex. And he has black cowboy boots that are way too big for him. He just looks completely ridiculous. Whereas, like, the the black with, with the lightning going down his, his boots and his, his gear is kind of cool. Probably one of the few times I've seen him, like, take off his do-rag without somebody forcefully taking it off him. Which I found kind of interesting. Like, he didn't mind showing off that his hair is completely receding and going where it's the way it's it's going. So, the, the whole match is... The start of it, Hogan is just stalling. He's rolling out. He's doing his... This makes no sense. I don't mind stalling in the rolling out of the ring. But Ric Flair has done it previously. And also, he does the... I'm not going to wrestle this big guy. I'm going to walk to the back. You asked for this match. That doesn't that doesn't work if you've asked for this match. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. You challenged this guy. Why would you all of a sudden go, Nah, not today. And walk away. You were always coming back. No one believed you were walking <laughs> to the back. And then they do a test of strength spot where they're tied up forever... But Hogan is winning these tests of strength because he's outsmarting Giant. But even if you're outsmarting Giant, you've built him at this guy that can beat people in two moves. He's beating the rest of your roster in two moves. And his punches are knocking people out for years. And he's carrying the Taskmaster over the top rope when he's knocked out like a small child. Like, you've made this guy look intimidating. And in one match... Hogan makes him look so weak and pathetic. It is just so bad. I don't mind the stalling at the start because I thought the stalling was going to end up with Hogan getting his ass kicked. One of the things Hogan was good at was getting his ass kicked for 20 minutes and coming back. And I thought he was going to do that, but with heel heat at the end instead. Instead, Hogan just looks like he's a better wrestler. He's smarter. He's more over with the fans. He never looks in trouble in the match. 
I don't get it. A, a thing that didn't make sense to me in the match, Gus, you brought up the back rakes, but Hogan's wearing gloves now. Like, what is this back rakes with the gloves? Oh, that's going to hurt him. He doesn't do it once. He does it like three different times. It's like, come on. I never got people selling the back rake personally. Like, these are really tough guys that are getting punched in the face for 30 minutes. Someone scratching your back. Uh, okay, I guess that's a thing. Well, at least I can somewhat believe. Like, Ooh, that, that that's kind of smart. Those, those those long nails. Okay, but the gloves. Um, no, um, that's that's where I draw. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> at least it makes sense for his personality this time. Also, I've noticed his move set has barely changed. Besides the hair pulls, so in the test of strength, every time that Giant was close to winning the test of strength, Hogan would pull his hair and Giant would hit the deck. And that's the he- most heelish thing he did. Every other move was just the same as his face moves. It's just, it proves Bobby Heenan right. Hulk Hogan has never been a face. He's always been a heel doing really heelish moves in the ring. You just cheer for it because he's doing it to bad guys <laughs> this entire time. One thing I hate is I thought this match was also going to be really similar to the WrestleMania 3 match between Andre, which is not a classic, but has decent psychology where I didn't think that Giant was going to leave his feet until like the very end, until he gets knocked out by a title shot or something. Yeah, and Dave, they've been booking that psychology for months and months that yeah. a lot of times Giant does not leave his feet. If he gets knocked like over, he gets like knocked to the outside, but he always lands on his feet. So they, they yeah. have been playing that up for, for a while now. Yeah, and the, the last time we saw him, he was annihilating Arn and uh, he was annihilating Arn and Benoit basically single-handedly and never leaving his feet. Arn was in the ring with him for two seconds and couldn't survive. Now you have Hulk outpowering him, putting him to the deck within a couple of minutes of the match in wrestling. There's no big build-up. There's no Hulk trying to slam him. I, I'm not saying making it Andre Hulk 2 would have been original, but it would have been at least kind of exciting. What? Yeah, so Dave, you, you, it's funny that you bring up Andre 2. Did, did you guys notice that Bobby and Dusty actually call him Andre at, at points? Yeah, they yeah. do. Yeah. They say it a couple of times. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> they do say that he's meant to be like the son of him originally when he shows up, so... You can understand. That's why he's called the giant and everything, but yeah. It's, so you take your best young spectacle. He's not your best young wrestler, but he's one of your best young draws, I would imagine. And you completely bury him. This isn't like this. he gets destroyed, but this is a real dragging of his character through the mud. And the finish yeah. is a typical NWO. Lots of ref, ref distractions. Both the other members coming in. Giant deals with the other two members pretty handily, at least. I, I like that he just kind of throws them around. I have no idea why there's not a disqualification. This irks me. Like, the ref sees them attacking him, and he's like, that'll play. That's fine. And then Hulk hits him with the title, and it's one, two, three from there. Not only hits him with the title, he puts him out of commission. Like he Oh, is my just- God, yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out, Connor, because he is out cold, apparently, from that belt shot <laughs> with how long it goes on for. There's a promo for about 15 minutes after that with the whole buildup. Doesn't move an inch. Doesn't roll around, doesn't moan, doesn't go to the outside and hold his head. I had to check if he was still breathing and if Giant was replaced with another big individual after this match because that is exceptional (laughs) selling. Maybe that's a conspiracy theory you should look into, Dave. Yeah, that Paul White was replaced after his initial run. Hulk Hogan murdered a young man and they just had to wait for another very tall athlete to want to wrestle. (laughs) The booty man comes out to the ring with a cake and a spray can all wrapped up for Hulk Hogan. It's Hulk's birthday. And Hulk cuts a promo telling us that, uh, one, he tells us, let me tell you something, literally a million times. He says it a lot, something, but let me tell you something, Ric Flair, must have been said at least 20 times at this point. He says, Rick, I found your weakness. 
you got a best friend. That's not what the NWO is about. We're about business. Let me show you. And he beats up Booty Man, who he's built up as his best friend in the industry. Which I think is true, right? They're like very close friends in real life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. Yeah, they're, they're like really close friends in real life. And he beats him up. I think that's cool. Not because the promo doesn't come off well, because Hulk Hogan is still doing all the old stuff. We discussed this in the last podcast. At least WCW listened to you this time. Hogan grabs a mic for himself this time. Yeah. So no mean gene, at least. Yeah, I, yeah. I do like that. Yeah. It's not even like there's nothing on the mic. It's like he's just found his own one. <laughs> yeah, so they just beat the hell out of him. And he makes the point that he doesn't need friends. This is a bit optimistic because there was always a fear that the NWO would just become all of Hulk's friends. Like, that is a realistic backstage politicsing fear. Now, it does develop into stuff like that where the popular... It's almost like gym class. The popular kids got picked for the NWO and some of the unpopular kids did not. But I think there's a bit of a genuine fear that it's just going to be Gene Oakland in a couple months and the Booty Man and the Nasty Boys and that would be the NWO, just all his pals. But this is a sign that maybe it's not going to be and maybe the storylines are going to be considered a bit better and it's going to be important members turning into the NWO, not just cohorts Ooh. of hogan's what, what do you guys think? spoiler alert we're gonna see ed leslie in the nwo <laughs> <laughs> yeah. after all this i what i did like is it where did he get that nwo shirt he's wearing i, I don't know yeah the, the terminator that's on it yeah it's really cool in a really yeah. really cheesy way like did he make it himself i also have to ask like why is there a, a spray can on a cake why was that his present like why why is but it's on top of the cake it's not do you think he would have still come out with the cake if hogan had lost do you think he was backstage saying, like, what do I do with this cake? I really hope he wins. I've gone through all this effort. <laughs> uh, it, it, was, it actually was his birthday, too. I looked it up. So <laughs> There's some cool precedent. Yeah. Do you think that's in his contract? I demand birthday cakes when I when I win matches on my birthday. I wouldn't Wait. be surprised, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> when you've creative control, you may as well. <laughs> I, do, I do like, though, that the spraying the, the title. That is the cool thing. It's iconic. It's really well done. Oh, that's spray paint number one. We can count it as spray paint number one, right? Yeah, I I wanted to do that on the podcast because all I remember from watching WCW is so many wrestlers get spray painted. Obviously, it's going to happen next month. We'll talk about how many get spray painted next time. So I want to write down how many people actually get spray painted and what other objects get spray painted. (laughs) You can keep count with us at home, but we'll, we'll tell you every episode. We'll count this as spray paint number one. This is zero AD. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i I think it's not the worst segment i do think hogan at the at the mouthpiece is a bit cheesy i really would prefer scott or kev talking but they're not the leader so they're not going to be doing the talking but i really prefer their promos uh yeah i'd agree with that as well he still doesn't really know how to go about it and the other two guys are just cooler as characters and as individuals really then again like hogan hogan is probably better like he's better off as a leader anyway because he's like the overseeing boss like this is the end boss kind of guy yeah it does work it's just weird to see it from the progression from bash at the beach this promo was so good at bash at the beach like what what happened yeah. it's hard to unlearn everything right like this is years of <laughs> i know from listening to interviews with kevin and scott when they did the original black and white promos the very first time they did it they were like okay so we're going to do it in this very specific way and it's going to be cool and hip and hogan just did his say your prayers eat your vitamins style promo and they're like oh we're dead in the water if this goes out and that's why the promos are jump cuts and they're all over the place so to kind of rip his promo apart so that it doesn't come across like that anymore yeah i I think he's having a 
a trouble transitioning fully. I, I think he gets better. If I remember some of the stuff later on, they get better. But then again, I've seen a lot of it in highlight packages. And it's really easy to make him look good and edgy in highlight packages. And maybe we're discovering, like, the whole point of this podcast is to see if it stands up to test of time, right? And Nash and Hall are, I don't think, beyond the big surprise that he's turned and them riding that wave. So far, I don't think he is standing up to, uh, to the test of time. What, what do you guys think? I, I don't think so either. Uh, looking back at the NWO promos, though, they are very enjoyable, though. Actually, they, they stand out really nicely, too. I mean, as I said earlier, it's different, and, and that's what makes it stand out. Yeah. It's not, not your typical backstage segment with Mean Gene. It's, it's by themselves. They're in front of this kind of cool screen. They go hammy with the, the video effects and things like that. Yeah, they actually tried to make it a real promo. It's like, okay, this is, this is what I wanted in your wrestling promo. So it's it's not just mean gene hey i'm gonna talk to you all right now we're gonna move to this match you know yeah no i think i agree with you guys i think hall and hall and nash are the cool ones 100 and hogan is kind of the like slightly over the hill dad who still wants to be hip with all his children and is trying to figure out what's the best way to go about that and i mean that's fair enough like this is a guy who's been on top of wrestling companies for close to 20 years by this point if he doesn't figure this out he's he's essentially done as as a big act so he's trying whatever he can I, i'm sure as as we go along we'll probably see his ego creep into it more and more again but i'm i'm less impressed with him than i probably thought i would be but the group as a whole i think the storyline itself is going quite well hogan hopefully is going to develop as we said we'll see but he is still getting to ride the wave of People are still shocked that I'm a heel. Like, this crowd is still cheering him. And I don't think we've transitioned to the era where NWO is cool and basically tweeners. They're never pure heels a couple months down the line, maybe even sooner. But people still don't know anything but cheer Hulk Hogan. The outsiders don't get cheered. Sting and Lex get cheered. It's also something to say about the personality of the giant. People just don't know any better and are still shocked by heel Hogan, I think. And that goes a long way. Technically, Giant is a heel as well. So, I think it's the crowd too for this 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 time oh, as well. Oh yeah, because the the Nitro with the promo I'm talking about, he actually did get a lot of cheers, and he was basically doing a babyface promo on that Nitro. So it I, it just fell flat. They 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 just didn't expect it because I mean he was doing the Hulk up, so I think they were expecting him to get this giant pop. No pun intended. <laughs> well, we'll we'll say there, there's a sign off by by Bobby and the rest. Bobby doesn't really get to talk. And this might be another indicator that he's quite drunk. Dusty and Tony are quite solemn at the end. And they do a really good job of making WCW sound divided. Because they point out, where were, where were the WCW? Why did no one help Giant? So they do point out that there's a bit of a divide. NWO standing strong. WCWs need to figure out their shit. <laughs> As they go off, Bobby says, wait a second. And tries to talk and they just cut him off. And the show ends and it goes to... Another montage of bikes, which is amazing. Bobby's like, wait a second, it's just gone. Final closing thoughts on the pay-per-view. Gus, did you like it? And after this pay-per-view, whose side are you on? Going through it, I like I'm not there's so many of the matches are just kind of throwaway. They're not objectively bad, but the crowd is so so shit bad in throughout the pay-per-view and so many of the matches don't really mean anything going forward. I'm sure whenever we get to the next Hogwild next year, we're going to have the same issue. I have to assume that it's going to be just as bad. It's like, this shouldn't be a pay-per-view. It, it should not be in this place. It, it's not for wrestling. It's really not a good pay-per-view. Like, the wrestling is decent at best, but I would not go out of my way to see any of this. 
even the Benoit Malenko one, which I I did enjoy, and you guys didn't. There's better matches that they've done individually or even together in better environments. So just watch them instead. It's a thumbs down. I'm still with the NWO though because they showed good solidarity. They won their matches. They held up their end of the bargain. They continued to tease that they have more members and that there's more to come. There's a lot of momentum with those guys going and it's. I'm going to be interested to watch the Nitros in between this next pay-per-view because there's a lot they can do with the storyline of like, how are they going to come together? How are they going to try to get something back on the NWO? Because if they don't, they're just going to get start to get a bit steamrolled, as it were. It's a solid one for plotline, but man, the rest of it's awful. Okay, how about you, Connor? Your enjoyment of the pay-per-view and whose side are you on now? This pay-per-view really let me down. I thought the build-up from the Nitros going into the pay-per-view was great. I was so into this threat of the NWO. It, con- it crescendoed nicely, and I just didn't feel the th- that threat at Hogwild. And all of WCW just kind of looks looks like fools right now. So I, I would I would definitely be on NWO side right now. It's just they, they seem cool. They gave us a swerve at the end. I actually wasn't sure what the swerve was going to be because I, I thought maybe... Ed Leslie would join the group because I unfortunately I do know he joins the group at some point. So not as the booty man though. So no. if we had to give if I had to give a rating, if we're gonna go back to the rating scale, four out of ten, maybe. I think that might be generous. And <laughs> the crowd, they fucking ruined it. The setting ruined it, being outside. Crooked ref was it was decent and I, I was not expecting that to be coming out out of nowhere here. So but yeah, and MWO spray paint on the belt, making their own cool storyline element. Other than that, hated this pay per view. Yeah, it's it's hard to find too many positives, I think, in the end. There's a lot of people and teams I like that we get to see for a first time. Big fan of Harlem Heat. Gonna love watching more of them. Big Eddie Guerrero fan. Gonna love seeing more of him as well. But besides that, I think the booking's just a little bit all over the place. Even if you want to keep all the finishes the same, the way the card is even divided a bit that way, the Outsiders match was almost good enough. But then didn't have the Outsiders look strong. I would not ever recommend watching that Hulk Hogan match. So I think at the end of this one, I'm on no one's side. Uh, can I be on the Outsiders <laughs> side, but not Hulk Hogan? I, I guess I'm going to have to go with NWO in that case, along with you guys. Let's hope that Team WCW makes more of a fight of it. That's all we have for this episode. Guys, thank you so much for joining us on our WCW NWO journey here. You can always catch episodes of the podcast on SoundCloud google play and itunes also join us on social media on twitter it's wcw versus nwo podcast and the same on facebook thanks for joining us and a goodbye from me fergus and connor join us next time where sting meets his long lost twin see you next time we've seen a lot of uh, bizarre occurrences in sturgis a lot of bizarre people. Uh, you, you think you would see it at a bikers rally. But nothing more bizarre, nothing more sickening than I have ever seen in my life than what we saw at the end when Hulk Hogan spray painted the NWO logo, I guess, or uh, letters onto that belt. Well, Tony, no, you know, you can talk about it any way you want, and you can split it up, and you can dissect it. The bottom line, that was a, a real unbelievable situation for me to see that belt that I have wore be spray painted NWO New World Order. Let me tell you something, by no means is this thing over with WCW. I am concerned about the fact, all the talk, all the things were said about NWO and, and where was WCW here when the giant needed him at the end. 
For Gene Okerlund, for Bobby the Brain Heenan, and for Dusty Rhodes, I'm Tony Schiavone. We'll hear what you have to no, say wait, at wait, night's wait, wait, Monday. Wait, no, wait, 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 no, wait.